Hi, this is Jeff Stanfield, and thanks for listening to the Big Honker Podcast. The Big Honker Podcast is sponsored by 737 Duck Calls. It's original design, American craftsmanship, precision tuned, superior sound, and unparalleled service. Folks, if you're looking for some ducks or goose calls, call the guys at 737 Duck Calls. You can look them up on Instagram at 737 Duck Calls or on Facebook at 737 Duck Calls, or you can look them up on the web at www.737.com. 737duckcalls.com. Once again, folks, we are sponsored by 737duckcalls. Holler at them and find yourself some good calls. Thank you. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, Andy Shaver here, and thank you so much for tuning into the Big Honker Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Dive Bomb Industries. Dive Bomb is the leader in silhouette manufacturing. They make goose, duck, and crane silhouettes. And for listeners of this podcast, you can save 10% by using the promo code Big Honker at checkout. All lowercase. Go get that spread of your dreams. Fill up that shopping cart. Use the promo code Big Honker and save you some money. We use them. We use them every day. They go through the muck and the mud and the grind, and they still always hold up. Go get the ones with the flocked heads. You will not be disappointed. Now, on this episode of the podcast, we have special guest Eric Guggenheim. Eric has been guiding hunt, guiding waterfowl hunts uh, forever. He's been in our neck of the woods for the past 15, 15 or so years. He's an all-around interesting cat. He's a, he's a Harvard graduate. He builds these amazing guitars. He's a world-class wildlife photographer. Pictures have been in almost every magazine, every wildlife magazine that you can imagine. So this was an absolute pleasure to uh to be able to sit down with him now there is a thunderstorm that blows up here in the middle of it so if you hear some banging and some clanging and some thunder and rain uh that's what it was but you know it's texas in the summertime so we're not going to curse the rain but this was a ton of fun we're so happy that uh that we were able to sit down and and just talk about the thing that we all know and love and that is the the sport of waterfowl hunting so we hope that you enjoy it and without further ado give it up for my man Eric Guggenheim. Welcome to the Big Honker Podcast. I'm Jeff Stanfield. I'm Andy Shaver. Happy to have everybody listening. And we are at Studio G at Eric Guggenheim, or with Eric Guggenheim, at Eric Guggenheim's place, which is a awesome, awesome setup, folks, here, called the Ranchita. The Ranchita. Yep. And Eric Ranchita. is a pro staffer for R&T Calls and numerous other things, and we're going to go through all of the stuff he does. Ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to introduce Mr. Eric Guggenheim. Hey, hey, I know some folks out there are going, oh, my God, Eric Guggenheim, <laughs> Jeff Stanfield, sitting over here. In the same room? In the same room, and heck, let's, let's, let's relive the moments, man. You, you even offered uh, Jeff uh, some fine whiskey and a beer, and, I mean, it's just, everything's just started out nice and cordial, and 
I mean, it's, I mean, you know, as we got older, we're like whiskey. We've gotten smoother, maybe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's, that, that's exactly right. As you age, you mellow. There's no doubt about there's that. There's no doubt about that. I was actually listening to you guys last week but with Wyman talk about hunting, and, you know, I, I'm, I'm almost at that point. I shouldn't say I'm almost. I am there. I really don't care if I kill anything anymore. I mean, I, I like to, but I, I never thought those words would come out of my mouth ever. I heard those old-timers. I'm like, you've lost your mind. Yeah. yeah. Well, you take world-class photos, and you, how often do you take the camera in the field with you? I, I t- well, honestly, I, I take the camera now every hunt. I may not take a gun. Uh, I got to the place, you know, my career in, in photography, it, it was not planned by any means. And uh, as it kind of developed, for me, I got the one when you're hunting, especially, you know, with the clients that we have, they really don't like us shooting their birds. They get a little a little jiggy about that. So yep. when you got as much ADD as I have, you got to do something. So uh, for me, fa- you know, photography for me was that place where I could still shoot them. I didn't have to clean them. And <laughs> biggest thing for me was you go home at night and you're with your girlfriend, your wife, your buddies, and we try to explain to people what these birds do. And you really, we, we sell it short, especially out here in West Texas where, where all of us guide we get an opportunity to see birds do stuff that nobody gets to see because right. of our volume. And yep. so for me, I was like, you know, instead of explaining it, I'm just going to take pictures of it. That's what I've tried to explain on this podcast is uh, people that hunt up north or just anywhere that, that's not chasing lessers, they have no fucking clue what it's like to have a 1,000 or 2,000, just the entire sky locked up, and they're coming to what you're doing. Well, even weirder than that, it's weird for people to see us land – 80, 90 birds yep. and not call and the not shot. not call the shot. And be like, no, 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 no. Yeah. And you, you see guys sitting up and you want to pop them on top of the head and be like, you, <laughs> you move again, I'll break your leg myself. Yeah. Because they don't understand, like, we shoot into that group of, of 70 birds that are sitting on the ground. Mm-hmm. The group of 4,000 behind yep. them are gone. Yep. And, you know, it, it's one of those deals that I, I hate to say we're spoiled, but we chase little geese. We chase yeah. we, we chase uh, uh, black-covered snow geese. We we are spoiled. There, there is no doubt about it. Um I've just, you know, just I've hunted in other parts of the, of the country and Canada, and you know, it's nothing compares. You're shooting a big flock up there is what, fifty birds. You're my doing favorite, something. My favorite part is first time in Canada, and uh, I don't even remember who. I've, gosh, it's been so long. I've forgotten more than I know. I think, and we're we're in this field, and everybody's got their glasses out. And he's like, "Oh my God, look at all those keys. There must be." 500, <laughs> 700 birds in the field. And I'm saying, well, man, we need yeah. to keep traveling, man. We ain't going to shoot, you know. <laughs> I mean, I, I pass those fields. I'm like, hmm, I, I don't even hit the brake for that one. No, I don't know. That's like, man, those are blackbirds. <laughs> and that's what, you know, that's what's so bizarre about around here. It's like, you know, we're looking for those 10, 20, 30,000 birds. And you yeah. know, a lot of people don't believe it until they come out, out right. here and see lessers. And, and, but we're lesser hunters. You know, we're, we're not greater hunters. And, and you know, I'll, I'll argue the debate all day long. There are different I believe lesser hunters can kill anything, yeah. but I don't believe greater hunters can kill lessers. Right. I can already hear the emails. That's, that's okay. That's we're, okay. We're, we get lots of We're all about controversy. I would agree with you, yeah. as a matter of fact, because, I mean, just think of the number of decoys that you have to set out when things get tough. I oh, mean, yeah. it's, it's astronomical. The skill level's a little bit different, too, though. Totally. You, you, uh, it, and, and I will take... We've got a big thunderstorm was a, bearing that was down on just us right now. The roof. So, we need to uh, take a look. Yeah. We, we're going to take pause. a break real quick. We had just a little malfunction of something. So we were talking about little geese before the uh, before something went boom outside. And it 
it uh, <laughs> we've, we've got a hell of a thunderstorm coming down on us right now. And uh, so if, if we seem a little bit distracted, that's what it is. But Hey, actually, you know what, Andy? Th- uh, this is a sign from God. It, this meeting you know, was meant to happen. They, you know, they say, well, hell freezes over. That's well, right. I mean, we're here. <laughs> I don't know what the temperature is yet, but we're here. <laughs> we're, it's like, this is like being in a hurricane, folks. We've got 70 mile an hour winds, but the difference is we're covered in dust. Yes. Yeah. yeah. We, uh, we haven't boarded up the house and, you know, we also haven't had about an hour warning because an hour ago it was 103 degrees. Yeah. Sweating our brains out and not a cloud in the sky. My poor, Texas goes my, with hunting geese. My, my poor grandma called me. She's probably warning me about some some impending doom or something. Andy, are you right with the Lord? Yeah, yeah, Andy. <laughs> there's rotation west of the river. Have you have you said your prayers? It's probably your wife going to be calling you next because power's out in Knox City and they got right. na- power lines down. Right, Andy, well. I'm eight months pregnant. There's yeah. no heat and air conditioning, and I'm dying. <laughs> and we we're currently uh, closing in our garage, so. Our house oh, is already a, max, a mess. All right, let's get out of the doomsday stuff. Let's talk yep. about Eric Guggenheim. Well, here, let's talk about that small geese for a second, though. I will say this about small geese is, Jeff, you said something before the storm came. I believe, in my opinion, if you can kill day in, day out geese consistently in Haskell County, you can kill geese anywhere in North America. I think I so. That's just what I believe. But, yeah. I, but you can't come down here and start shooting geese and be you successful. Know. Too many guys have come down here and – I love watching those guys. Yeah, they're, they're clueless. You can see their spreads and everything. A kid last year had 100 decoys out. No, no, I don't even think he had that many. I don't even he had that many. 60 decoys yes. out. All full bodies. Bigfoots. Bigfoots. And yes. he was absolutely not, had no not fucking knocking clue Bigfoot, what he was doing. But it was just that's what he was I, using. I drove by him a couple times. I kind of felt bad for him. I mean, it's competition and it's life. I, at one point, I wanted to go to him. like, man, are you, are you tired of, of getting <laughs> every day whipped? Well, first time I saw a spread, I, I thought, of, you, know, you know, probably some like farmer or something found yeah. a trailer or something somebody some, you know do some decoys out and then i realized it's an outfitter i'm like man my gosh yeah. that's an actual outfitter so yeah. thought watched it was, me shoot a lot of geese across the street a, from him thought it was a uh, a do-it-yourselfer or something yeah big time but like i said he watched me shoot a lot of geese across the street and a lot of times and you too so folks it is bearing freaking down here right now <laughs> actually it is we are in a horrible <laughs> thunderstorm we've got everything but rain but the wind is going 70 plus now yeah, it, it, it's getting it, which is funny because, you know, we have no rain here. We get, we get awesome thunderstorms without the rain. Yeah. We miss the main ingredient, especially in the waterfowl business. Yeah. So, so you're on with R&T. How long have you you've been with R&T? Forever. Ever. Yep. I, so my, my career with R&T uh, started, gosh, I can't remember. I don't even honestly remember. But, you know, I'm not a duck hunter. And as you all know, I'm, I'm kind of an anti-duck hunter. Uh, matter of fact, on our, on our guide uh, uh, sweaters, it says it's better not to hunt on one sleeve than to hunt ducks on the other sleeve. So <laughs> I'm not a duck hunter. Not a duck hunter And at all. goose hunters, I mean, don't get me wrong. You come my spread, you're going to die. Mm-hmm. But uh, it all happened, I don't even know what year it was. Uh, I went to Stuttgart. I'd already been at the R&T, and uh, we had a, a, a real big party there. I think it was Fall Festival. And uh, uh, John Stevens came up to me, and we are both uh, kind of looked the same. And uh, <laughs> started kind of hitting it off on music and stuff. And uh, Jim, but Kelly Powers had kind of just left, and so there wasn't really any goose folks. And so uh, Jimbo asked if I would, you know, be interested in uh, blowing. At that time, I was doing competition goose calls and whatnot, and uh, if I'd be interested in blowing RNT calls. And you know, at first, I was kind of hesitant because you know RNT is not really known for goose right. calls and well, duck calls. They're a duck call company, and 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 
I'm in Stuttgart and I don't even know what water looks like, much less what it feels <laughs> like. And so uh, I said, yeah, sure, you know, they only had the Kelly Powers call and that kind of started the, the, the long trail all the way to today. So it's been a lot of fun, uh, you know, watching and, how that, that company's evolved. And you also, you also filmed RNT TV. Are you yeah. the producer? No, no, I'm not a producer. No, uh, Sean Stahl's producer and, uh, and Jimbo's producer. I've just been a, a guy tagging along a long time. Uh, just, uh, you know, Sean and I had a long career as, uh, you know, the goose guys. When you're the goose guys at R&T, you're kind of like a, a left-handed stepchild, like, toss <laughs> out. I mean, and so we had to work really, really hard at, at R&TV because everybody's timber. I mean, when you go to R&TV, it's timber hunting, it's world champion duck calling, but... You know, here's a Yankee and a, and a you know, dumbass uh, redneck from West Texas. And we're like, you know what? We've got to put a, a, a dot on the market for, for goose hunting. And so we really concentrated really, really hard of how can we make goose hunting exciting. And so literally we spent, the last, you know, almost eight seasons uh, trying to figure out how to make goose hunting exciting. You know, what is everybody else doing in ducks? You know, of course, we're goose hunters. So the idea of birds dropping in timber that's fun the first volley of the first commercial right but after that they kind of like the same <laughs> i can already hear the stress from fam from uh, e- emails of uh you know duck hunting and timber's the only way to go yeah. hey y'all it all looks the same i promise <laughs> <laughs> and so we spent the next years i mean from canada saskatchewan uh ontario manitoba all the way down here to texas trying to you know what can we do differently uh biggest thing we did was trying to figure out how can we film differently what i mean everybody's at those times I was explaining to, to Mary Carolina the other day is that's when Jeff Foyles was, I mean, early in the game, Jeff Foyles was, was huge. And we were all like, oh, my gosh, we're be a killer. But after you've seen geese kind of do it in the corn or geese do it somewhere else, it's pretty much the same deal. So, like, what can we do to make a flock of geese exciting to watch on TV? And so that's kind of what we did. We got as artistic as possible with a bunch of really great guys. And the cool thing about filming goose hunts, not to be a narcissist, but – we went to places that had a lot of opportunity and if they didn't do it right, we knew we were going to be able to do them again. Right. And yeah. I think that's the biggest part about filming goose hunts in the right places is if they don't, you know, in the timber, there's no guarantee. I've, I've hunted timber for a lot of times. I've been very fortunate to get to experience it with Jimbo and everybody, but I've been on some of the, probably the best timber hunts there are. And I wouldn't say that it was planned. It's not consistent versus us. We, especially, you know, if they're in an active feed field, tomorrow it's going to be a good hunt. And so we could sit up and say, okay, what can we do differently to make this hunt more exciting? It's your water tank's on the side of the house. Yeah. Oh, that what it, is that what it was? Yeah. Oh, that's an empty one. Okay, okay. that's fine. All right, that's what it is. <laughs> yeah. Huh? There's a pipe with it, too. Yeah, all, water, all of our water, everything is all rainwater, everything. So I've got a second tank because I've got one group who can't stop shitting and taking showers, and they can drain what some groups take a month to drain. They'll do it in one weekend. They don't surprise me. No, no nothing. We'll get into that in a minute. You know, in California now, you can't shit. You can't, you can't shower and yeah. do laundry the same day in a lot what? of places. The last time I was yeah. in California, they, if you go to a restaurant, they'll charge you for water. You can drink wine pretty much free, but they'll <laughs> charge for water. Yeah, I saw the other day some of the, the liberal counties out there are doing what you can only you got to choose to do laundry one day or shower that day. I don't last, know how they're going to regulate it. I don't either. Last time I was in Mexico uh, City last month, uh, there's a, a guy in the in the stall. He's like, "Señor, would you like paper?" I'm like, "What, man?" He's like, five pesos." I'm like, <laughs> to buy shit paper? Damn, I can't believe you're charging me. I mean, 
actually is kind of pretty damn good business, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> everybody, everybody does it. Think about that. So somebody out there just started a business tomorrow, <laughs> selling shit paper. I know there's bars at that you go to mm-hmm. that they they charge you to go in the bathroom. Yeah, and that's that, oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah those money are, those makers, uppity bars, but they're yeah. smart. Yeah, it's a money maker. You throw a bunch of beer down, somebody's got to take a piss. Yeah, and then once they pot, once they break the seal, it's done. All the done. Time. Oh man, imagine imagine women's bathrooms. Matter of fact, you, what you do is you do like they used to do on Girls Gone Wild. So I, I, we actually guided the producer of that a long time ago, and uh, he told us how he, you know, the, the secret behind it is they, they have like catch dogs, if you will. They send in these gals, you know, into these bars that get everybody all riled up and fired up, mm-hmm. and they're basically actors, but they get everybody fired up, pouring drinks, pouring shots, and then, you know, obviously what happens, what happens. So that's what we do is we, we start this bathroom business. And we get some girl to walk around to all the other girls like, hey, girls, let's go to the bathroom. There Next you go. thing you know, you boom. So it. was this the same guy that went to prison? <laughs> yes, actually. He's out now. He's out. Because they're starting to make videos again. I saw it the other day oh, yeah. on Facebook. They're really? coming back in business. Yeah, it, you know, that's the funny thing about the business that we're in. We, as you all know, we never know who we're going to get each weekend. That's I right. mean, Mm-mm. sometimes it's regular Joes. Other times when you hear guys' stories, you're like, you're that guy? And then there's other times. <laughs> Uh, and we could tell we could tell stories all night. I'm sure y'all could too. About you know, I've had some extremely famous people crawling through the dog hole because they're drunk trying to throw <laughs> up. And I'm like, man, I know how much you're worth. Yeah. And well, I had one client, a group went from a, a famous motor company here. They had all their executive team, and they stayed up the night before uh, over serving themselves. And next day, the, the one of the guys goes, Hey man, uh, how much does how much does hunt cost? And I'm like, I mean, and we're, and we're pile driving geese. We're just, we're wearing them out. And I'm like, ah, that's $300 a gun or whatever it was. And blah, blah, blah. He goes, I'll give you $3,000 to end this hunt. And I never have to hear another gun again. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Hunt's over guys. Yeah. I'm like, bye guys. We gotta go. Yeah. Limits up. Take pack, pictures. <laughs> pack this shit up. We've got to roll. And I said, well, you know, sir, I can't, he goes, I'm paying for this hunt. I'm like, we're done. We're done. We out. We're good. <laughs> yeah. The guy paying the bill makes the rules. Hey, look. If you want, to, if if the guy paying the bill wants to wants to go out here and uh, and, and pick daisies, my God, we're gonna pick some daisies. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So exactly. so you're on R and T pro staff. Uh-huh. Shoot us some. Who else you? So uh, yeah, um, Sitka is one of my my, my big sponsors. And and uh, can you talk about the waiters on here? Yeah, I can talk about the waiters. I can officially talk about the waiters. Um, and I'm glad this isn't a call-in show because oh my God, to get beat. <laughs> um, Apex Ammo, Onyx Maps. Um, you know, RT calls, honestly, Tangle Free, a dive bomb. Uh, honestly, I don't even know who all the people that I work with anymore. It's just, it's not in a bad way. It's just, you know, being a photographer, you know, for me, I'm more about helping folks build their businesses more than I am about, you know, when I could, and I don't want any free stuff. I could care less about that. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm here to make a living uh, shooting pictures. But more importantly, m- my goal is to help these folks promote their products. I love companies, and I've been a part of so many pro staffs only because of my age, not because of ability. But <laughs> back with when Tom uh, was running Avery, uh, you know, that was kind of like, that's kind of where Pro Staff started. If you right. think about this game, yeah. now there's a Pro Staff for everything, which kind of drives me crazy a little bit. But uh, I'm, I'm on a Charmin's Pro Staff, I think, or something. <laughs> but they, uh, you know, when Tom Matthews uh, started Avery, you know, he was really probably the first guy who put together this quote unquote Pro Staff team stuff. I didn't know what it was. And, you know, it was, I remember the first time we had to deal with, Gosh, looking back now, it was pretty amazing. It was Zinc, Stahl, you know, me, John Stevens, Jimbo, all these guys. But, hell, we were 23 years old. We didn't know anything. We just know we got some, you know, right. decoys and free trips and come film hunts. And, and now, you know, it really is 
I'm, I'm a little worried in the pro staff game because they're letting, I think a lot of folks let folks in, but from a manufacturer, I've gotten to work now on a, an actual commercial level with a lot of these folks and pro staff is a tremendous opportunity. I mean, you guys know if your stuff doesn't work, send it to us and we will tell you. And, and that's one thing about the difference between guys like, you know, uh, Stanfield and us is I don't, we don't need free stuff. We need stuff to work. The worst thing that can happen to us is get a bunch yeah. of junk in here that doesn't work. And in the decoy world, uh, shine. I mean, Lord knows, speaking of dive bomb, I mean, the, 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 the sell-up market, I am, I'm the first person to say I'm nervous as hell to try new silhouettes because we got guys in the field paying us a tremendous amount of money mm -hmm. to kill geese. Yep. And last thing we need is a bunch of, a bunch of tin foil flapping in the wind. So <laughs> it's scary to me to new paint jobs. People don't understand full bodies shine, yep. you know, I'm not against full bodies, but there's a time and place. But the last thing I want to do is get, you know, Hey, we're starting a full body company, man. You want to try our stuff? Have you ever thought in your life that this you'd see a time be? that we'd see a thousand dollar pair of waders? Yes, I have. Uh, and the only reason that's because of, uh, I was a fly fishing guide for a very, 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 very long time. And Sims, which most people don't understand that Sitka is owned by Gore-Tex. Gore-Tex, or Gore companies, OBL Gore, which also owns uh, North Face. They own Sims. But they're, they actually make rubber tires. That's really? rubber. Yeah, most people don't realize that Gore's, one of their biggest businesses is making rubber uh, products. And so, um, you know, in the, fish, in the fly fishing world back in the 90s, I'm dating myself, and uh, was, you know, we were paying $400 back then for waders, uh, right. for Sims Gore-Tex waders. And, you know, everybody thought we were crazy. Like, man, who in the hell is going to pay $400 for a pair of fly fishing waders? And I've owned many, many pairs of them. I will say this, you know, is the jury out on a $1,000 pair of waders? Depends how you look at it. Um, here's how I feel about the waders is it goes back to who's the company back behind them. You know, I personally burn through waders uh, like, like a chain smoker. You yeah. know, in our world, we're, but we're also a little different. We wear those things sometimes almost every day. Right. Put out decoys. And let's face it, we don't necessarily treat them gentle. No. And uh, so we're really good testers, and I don't think any of us wear uh, uh, neoprene anymore. That's just stupid. Right. Yeah. Um, but here's the deal about those waders. Number one, they're basically a Gore-Tex uh, Sims-style waiter. So I've had a pair now for nine years uh, that still don't have a leak in them. And that's, I mean, and that's from guiding every day when I was a fly fishing guide. And to have a pair of waders last that long is pretty pretty unbelievable um and these are in the same same boat the other side of it is is the warranty so i've owned probably every set of waders there is i can think of um my favorite pair of waders is made by a texas-based company uh uh here in uh, houston uh, academy are pretty phenomenal <laughs> just saying but the uh the thing is is the the, th the sims waders have the Sitka backing, you know, Sitka says, look, you get a hole, we're going to not fix them, replace them. Those of you guys who have hunted uh, Sitka gear, are you paying for a brand? Are you paying for marketing on stuff? No, you're actually not. You're paying for some extremely high quality material. Uh, Gore-Tex is not cheap to make, but this other side of it is, is tears, rips. If you send stuff back to those guys, they're going to send you a new pair. And so for me, I look at it as, you know, I'm going to beat these up. And I'm going to spend two or three hundred dollars on a, on a Red Zone or or a Max or whatever other brands, and the warranty is not going to be a replacement. They're going to look at it and they're going to realize that I walk through barbed wire, <laughs> aka 
it was in tall grass yeah. as I wrote on my return form. Yeah. But <laughs> they, uh, the thing about those waders is those guys, if they get a leak, they're, they're going to fix them or they're going to replace them. And there's really not a lot of questions asked. So you got to ask yourself, you know, what is it worth to have new waders that, that you know you're going to have five, six, seven years? Now, they've only been out a year uh, on the pro side, and then they're going to be out this year commercially. You know, the jury's out, but, w you know, would I buy them commercially? Yeah, I would, only because of the warranty and their turnaround time. The other thing, if they're you know, 10 days, you got yourself back. And, uh, you, you know, if maybe if I hunted timber, it might be a little different. But, you know, I, I'm I, – I, now, the other side of it is I love the way they fit, too. They fit on – I mean, it's like, it's like wearing a – basically like wearing their bibs and a yeah. pair of uh, uh, rubber boots that we all wear, which that's the West Texas version of waders <laughs> is knee boots and, and bibs. And, yeah. <laughs> that's right. People see, laugh when they see us walking in the water, you know, knee deep. They're like, how in the world is it not Lincoln? I'm like, it's magic. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not on Sitka, um, but everybody that I've talked to that wears them say that they're, they're extremely comfortable. Yeah. The pants, the bibs. So, uh <clears throat> You know, most waders that you wear, like you said, are not the most comfortable thing that you can wear. Oh, horrible. So, uh, hey, if, if, if it's comfortable, then, you know, maybe it's worth this uh, G-bar that you're going to have to drop on them. I don't yeah, know. So, have you, have you you've, I mean, you've worn them and tested them out and all this other yeah, good the, stuff? Yeah, the thing about the G-bar on it, it's, it, man, I hate to say this. It, it's like everything in this industry is kind of going that way. God, I sound like my dad. Back when I was hunting, yeah. Yeah. I paid $75 for a pair of Herder's rubber waders, you know, <laughs> and we used to fix them with mink oil. But, uh, you know, it's like a jacket. You, Jeff remembers this. Do you remember when Columbia jackets came out? Yes. Oh, God. Everybody thought you lost your mind at $300. Did you get like, one? Get, you know, what was, yeah. what was that? What was it called? It was like the big fluffy one. And the Drake or something like that. I don't remember what it's called. And I can't remember what it's called. But it, and it was three hundred dollars, and everything else is you know seventy five hundred bucks. But God, it kept you dry, kept you warm, and you're like, you know, it's, it's worth it. Yeah. And so if you kind of factor the time of money nowadays, it's probably about the same. Right. I mean, you can't get a waterfowl jacket one hundred percent waterproof for under a couple hundred bucks. No, that that's a company that does not push waterfowl real hard as Columbia, and they make good products. Man, I don't know why. No, I don't either. I don't either. I I still have I have a I have a Holy Grail set of waders uh, still. I have the original Sitka waders before they were cool, which was actually uh, uh, the Sims made a camouflage waiter for a while. And I have a pair of Sims camouflage waders still, and they're still good. And they're shit, 13 years old. And uh, I don't know why more companies don't make camouflage waders. Even if I was yeah. if, you know, fishing, I'm like, get right. invisible. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's a good point. So are you going to go buy these, Jeff? What? Do they make them in plus size? I'm a Columbia guy, so he's making fun oh, of me now. Oh, that's right. He's, he's Columbia. Well, oh, am I going to go buy sickle waders? That's why I was asking Eric if they make Jeff drives sides. trucks. No, I'm not. I'm he's not, a scout. I'm, yeah, I'm not. I don't need him to scout around. If my truck, if I need some waders in that freaking truck, I am fucked. I'm telling we're, you right now. We're in a way bigger problem. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to say it's not going to happen. I'm just saying yeah. we're, in a, we're in a world of hurt. I got stranded in a freaking snowbank three years ago. Let me tell you, driving down a road, I drive down a hundred times a week. Yeah. Paved road, I'm driving down it, and I got stuck in a fucking snowbank. And <laughs> I'm back up and back, can't go, and I'm like, oh, I'm freaking pissed. I'm like, shit, I'm going to have to call. Same guy that's pulled me out three times out yes. of mud is now going to have to come pull me out of oh, the yeah. So I call Zach, my farmer friend. It's like, hey, you need to come get me and tell him where I was at. But before I did that, I thought, you know what? There's another rancher that I hunt on. They've got a cattle feed lot right there. Yes. 
and I walk a mile, and it is 15 degrees, the wind's blowing. You know, when it's when it snows down here, people don't realize no. it's 30, 40 mile an hour winds. We don't ever have snow yeah. when it's just 32 degrees no. and a nice pleasant snow. It's miserable. No, it's brutal. I walk all the way up there, and it's a, it, and, and nobody's working but one Mexican guy, and I can see him driving <laughs> his front end loader. I thought, yeah, I'm gonna he'll, he'll do it. I get about 100 yards from his barn, and I see that Mexican guy leaving this old truck and go the opposite way, and I'm <laughs> jump, I'm standing up in the road waving back. I thought, sure, that some bitch go. Yeah. Mud. I'm deep, man. <laughs> Never looked back at me. So then I had to walk back to the truck, and I got in there and I called a guy to get me out. So I'm not saying I I don't need waiter, I don't need bibs and a yeah. big parka, but I keep them in my truck just in case. Oh no! So maybe I need to get yeah. me some truck waiters. Yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah that's hey, probably true. Yeah. And that and I get stuck all the time. I mean, there there, there there's enough Facebook posts and stuff about me being yeah. stuck. That's it's not that I mean to get stuck. It's just somehow it finds me. And I, that the. One of the worst stuck experiences I had it was three years ago. I remember this yes, day. Yes, it is. I think everybody in the world remembers this day. There's there's more pictures of that than than Monica Lewinsky, I guess. But uh, <laughs> they uh, we get set up and we we're gonna we're gonna pile drive these things. I mean, we're these birds. I mean, I'm already counting limits and bands. I mean, I got the tip money coming and we hadn't even got out there yet. It's gonna be on. And uh, it was over at McJeezy's, and. Uh, I drive out in the field, and, and I drive a, a real big heavy truck, and it's, it's me and a buddy named Eric Bragg, and we get set up. We set up the whole entire spread. We, we threw one of those Hail Mary spreads. That's yeah. like everything we own plus what we could steal from other outfitters, <laughs> and we get it set up. We go to park the truck. Geese are coming, and all of a sudden, it's like vroom, vroom. Not what you want to feel. And I'm like, this ain't good. So we all hook everything <laughs> up, hook all the trucks up. And my my F two fifty, I mean, I think I think I was probably up to the past past the top of the wheels maybe, and I'm like, this is not good. We end up having to cancel this freaking hunt. <laughs> my truck's stuck in the field. We tell the hunters, hey, really, don't, really appreciate y'all coming out here. By the way, I'm, you know, and I thought <laughs> I was like, can we, can we throw grass on this thing? And it's like, no, it's like Mount Rushmore. Yeah. Looking back, we probably should have tried to hunt. I mean, they probably would have thought, but at the time, you're you're in panic mode, and. Um, so I, I go to I go to this Mexican probably the same guy you saw. <laughs> I'm like like hey man I'm stuck. He's like, weren't you stuck last week? And I'm like, no nah, man that's my brother Jesus. You probably seen him walking around. Hey Jesus, what a smart ass. And so so he he's not going to help me. So I borrow a tractor that I saw because most of them keep the keys in them, not naming names or self incriminating. And I get the tractor stuck, pull my truck out. Oh, so then shit. I'm like man. This is the only guy who can get me unstuck. So we, oh. we, we strike a deal, and he's like, Senor, do not tell my boss that I'm getting you out. And he brings over this four-wheel drive, eight-wheel tractor. And, you know, and he's kind of you know, he cocky. Mm-hmm. He's like, he's going to pop us out. All of a sudden, he hits it, and nothing happens. And, you know, you can see his eyes like, ay, ay, ay. So he, he, he jerks the tractor out. You know, it's kind of like the you know, spider <laughs> eaten by the you know, mouse, eaten by the cat, by the dog kind of deal. And we get everybody out. Yeah. And, that's like the last time I got stuck big time. <laughs> well, uh, you know, we got a, I got stuck one time, and it's a similar deal, and it's just, guys, we're here. This is where we're at. This is where we're at. I'm sorry, but. Uh, you know, I think. It's not like I want to fucking do this done on it, purpose. But we should probably try to hunt one of those times, like move the decoys, because those birds see those yeah. damn trucks every day. Yeah. Just move the spread, and I'm sure they probably <laughs> kill a few. Thank God for specs. Well. It'd be better than a zero that you're going to do. <laughs> we, 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 had a, we had a truck in the kill in the kill hole in a blizzard one time Ooh. and we got a decoy on top of my truck and i just i mean yeah. there's nothing i it's can do it's a white truck it's a blizzard hey it moved right like in. A hill. but i yeah. sit in that truck and i'm watching the kill the guy's 
15 yards in front of my truck, and I'm thinking, you know what? If some bitches start shooting, yeah. they're pointing right at me. I'm thinking, this may be not such a damn good idea. Hey, don't you last time I keep the heat on? Yeah. Turn some music. Yeah. Well, I had it going. I'm not afraid <laughs> oh, to play yeah. music while I hunt. Uh, yeah. Adele yeah. and I have killed a lot of geese together. <laughs> okay, let's, 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 let's go back to Eric now. Yeah. So, Eric Guggenheim grew up in Amarillo, Texas. Yes. So, your dad, t- tell us about your, how you got yeah. into waterfowl hunting. So, um, yeah, I grew up in Amarillo, Texas, born and raised. Um, I didn't realize that. I didn't realize that trees grew straight until I went to college. <laughs> uh, I thought everything kind of had a 45-degree angle from the southwest. Yeah. But uh, so uh, my folks, uh, my mom and dad also grew up in Amarillo, and uh, my, my, my dad had some farms and stuff out near Hereford. And my mom's dad, though, was a, was a big waterfowler and big hunter. Uh, he was an immigrant from Sweden and, uh, you know, truly the American tale. I mean, came over here in the boat. I mean, literally... I mean, right out of right out of the movies, and, and made a real life for himself uh, in construction. Uh, but was a fanatical hunter and a big waterfowler, and loved to goose hunt. And so, but you know, raising that old world, uh, he was a reloader, and he, we'd reload shells. And uh, I'd ask him, you know, Grandpa, what are we loading? Twos and six and fours? <laughs> no, uh, this is uh, some chains off of a ceiling fan. <laughs> these are some split shots from fishing. <laughs> I mean, unbelievable stuff we we're throwing out of these things. But for shooting geese, you'd hear poof. <laughs> of, a, of a fan chain taken off but it did the damage it did the work <laughs> and uh so you know growing up in amarillo you know it's a goose mecca just like here and so um we, we hunted geese a lot we didn't really, even though we we have greenheads i mean people don't realize this the panhandle and of, of texas oklahoma probably has more greenheads than just about anywhere in the u.s i mean it's it's basically the prairie potholes just like saskatchewan and everything else but on the, on the lower side of it on the on the flyway and so, you know, duck hunting was kind of an anomaly. It was, you know, hey, it's just a bunch of greenheads. Let's go shoot some geese. And so I grew up a goose hunter. But probably that was a lot more due to the upbringing of, of my grandparents. And, you know, basically, you got three shells. That's how you're going to eat. Right. So um, a goose is bigger. Right. So, you know, it's, yeah. and so we grew up hunting Canada geese. Uh, and the other side about it in Amarillo, you know, you have a corn population. And, uh, it, you know, in those days... The, the bad part about Amarillo and, 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 and let's just say Texas as a whole is this is a deer state. Yep. No one really cares about waterfowl hunting. And no. we, our waterfowl hunting is second to none in the world. But really, everybody thinks about deer. And so for us, getting on property or all those things really wasn't a big deal for us because we could do it. And so, um, I mean, I didn't know any different. We didn't, I didn't shoot my first deer until uh, my junior year in, in college because, I mean, our deer season up there is super short growing up, and it's only whitetails and, I mean, mule deer, excuse me, and so uh, we hunted geese. Now, what people don't also know is our waterfowl season here is a full-time job. We start waterfowl hunting in September, and we don't stop till February. Yep. And that's, a, that's probably one of the biggest blessings of my life is, you know, waterfowling here, you, you're not 90 days with a split. It's blow and go from teal season and being the High Plains Mallard. We start in October, so we really only have about two and a half, three weeks off, and it's back on to killing. Yep. Yeah, and I mean, and you know, and then you got your dove hunting, so yes. that kill that fills a little bit of time. That's a ritual that, here. That is. So, who introduced you to calling? Because there's a lot of guys hunt ducks and geese. Yeah, but not a lot of guys are callers. No. So my granddad, I, I had one of the coolest granddads in, in in the world. Again, he was he was an immigrant. He was an unbelievable shot. You know, some people say it's natural. I don't know if I picked it up from him, but unbelievable shot and. Uh, but he's also probably one of the most patient human beings I ever met. And truly, 
he was one of those guys, his patience, I don't quite understand it because, you know, I've got kids and, and, and I try to be patient, but he, honest to God, got his, his, his value in life from his kids and, and, and watching us hunt and fish. So he's one of those guys, we'd go to a, you know, we didn't have academies back then or any that kind of stuff. It was small local hunting and fishing stores. So they had, you know, whatever it was and duck calls, goose calls, whatever. And, you know, of course he called, but it was the old days of, and, and if I asked for, hey, you know, Grandpa, can I get a, can I get a goose call? He's like, yeah, you know, sure, get the call, you know, blow it, whatever. And uh, so he let us do whatever we wanted, and, and he encouraged it, you know. And he was one of those guys. He wasn't a very good caller by any means, but you know, I, uh, for whatever reason, it, it just kind of resonated with me. And so when I started calling geese, it was, you know, long read calls like, <laughs> yeah. you know, it was kind of funny. Uh, and I remember when. Uh, you know, the first kind of flutes kind of came out. I'm dating myself again. And uh, he just one of those guys encouraged us to, to, to call. You know, duck calls have been around for a long time, but mm-hmm. goose calls to what they are today have changed dramatically. And so for me, being a musician on top of that, it was, it was like playing music. But the thing about geese is they have a, a basically a vernacular ability as opposed to ducks. Ducks, you really can't talk back and forth. I will challenge that to anybody who wants to call in on this deal. Ducks have a have a communal language, you know. Basically, it's you know here's what's happening. The hot tub's hot. Come on in. Water's <laughs> warm. Come down. You know. Hey, I'm on the hill. Wah, 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 wah. And it happens. Geese. We have they have a very developed language. You can talk back and forth to a single goose and literally have a conversation. And so at that point, being the talker that I am, I was like, hey, this is what I want to <laughs> do. I want to I want to learn how to talk to these things. And you know, learning to command geese is a is a I'd probably say one of the highlights of my life. When you say that I'm going to call that goose, we're going to talk, and I'm going to force you down, mm-hmm. to me that's when you knew that, you, that, that, that you're a goose hunter. When you can say, you are coming down. Right. Or my favorite thing is I'll be laying there in the blind half asleep, and I'll hear a certain call, and I'm like, that's a dead goose talking. <laughs> you know that noise. When you yeah. Hear that, yeah. yeah. It's like, guys, get your guns. We're about to shoot them all. Hello. <laughs> we're, we're waiting on you. Uh, yeah, I, you know, and that, that's – I'm kind of where you are with the whole gun thing now. I don't shoot much anymore, but my I get my kick when I'm I'm gonna put you where I want you. That's right. And then I'm gonna have my boys. It's clean personal. Up. Yeah, it really is. To me, to me, the definition of being a guide, you know, anybody can kill birds on the X. Okay. Right. You know, let's face it. If they're coming, they're coming. Now, yeah. Now you're gonna screw it up probably. Yeah. Uh, flaring them and whatnot, but if they're coming, they're going to be there. To me, the definition of, of a, a true waterfowler is the guy who can call them off the X because for whatever reason you couldn't get on that field, another outfitter or that landowner's not hunting or whatever, get them off the X and make them land. But that's, that's number one. But number two is can you take some guy from wherever he's from, never, n- never really shot a gun in his life. Uh, we had a guy show up one time in a, I swear to God, space suit. It was like a sterling silver <laughs> ski outfit and i'm like and i'm like dr spock i'm like guy he's like well this is my cold weather stuff i'm like oh my god you know that's but, his cold weather stuff is what yeah, he said because he skis i guess oh, okay. you know he's the corporate hunting wow. he's i mean literally in like like this like looks like he's covered in, in tin foil and uh it was like mr roboto or something but to take that guy and put him on geese that is when i knew that i was cut out to be a, a goose guy and that's to me that's what it's about it's like I don't really care about my hunters in the sense of killing birds. When I go out to guide, it's about me versus those birds. Of I'm going to put you in the dirt, 
And I, these guys are going to do my dirty work. That's the easy part. Yeah. It's very personal. I know it sounds kind of stupid, but it's very personal between me and those birds of my challenge is, can I make you come down? Yeah. Especially at trafficking. I'd rather traffic geese <laughs> than hunt the X all day, every day. Yeah. Because you work for it. And, they, you they, and, it. There's, and there's such a reward in that. Um, I, we're actually going to do a, a, an entire podcast on running the X, uh, hunting the X and running traffic and all this other stuff. Because Got to uh, love traffic. Because so many guys, you know, you know, if you're, we have a lot of birds in our area, mm-hmm. but if you go to another area, there might only be one X. That's right. You know, so uh, I think more, I think a lot of guys hunt traffic. So we're gonna we'll, we'll dive into that. Uh, I, I love. Tra- I mean, to me, to me, hunting traffic, it was 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 like you know you're you're the you're the the ugly guy at the bar. You know, you got no <laughs> game or anything uh, else. Yeah. And there's a super hot girl that walks in. Yeah. And, all the muscle-bound dudes are <laughs> checking her out and everything else. Yeah. And, you know, you got nothing going for you. And then yeah. you're like, hey, guys. Because, <laughs> I mean, truly, trafficking birds, you have to earn it. I mean, yeah. it's not about calling. It's about the entire setup. And yep. there's not a lot. I, 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 I'll be straight up. There's not a lot of guys I know who can traffic day in, day mm-hmm. out, and kill geese. And, you know, that's something that we've had to learn here. Yeah. I mean, if you're hunting this area, trafficking is your life because – those birds get set up on a peanut field. They're going there. Right. And if you got it, great. More power to you. If you don't got it, get ready because you're going to have to struggle. Yeah. But I also think trafficking is an art, too. I mean, mm-hmm. to me, like, there's been many times, you know, all these years with Jeff, and, like, they're on the bed. I'm like, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, yeah. so I, I knew you guys were going to get the first you know, jollies because they're going, I mean, when they're on the bed, it's, they're on their bed, it's hard. And so set up a spread a lot of guys think the wind i don't care about the wind the wind is not my game it's like i look at the flat to me the flight lines everything and so i know those birds are coming to you guys and i was like okay what's going to happen when they start banging into them the flat line is going to shift how am i set up for that flat line because again they're going to see y'all and they really coming off the davis wherever they came off there and they you know how they kind of start shifting our, yep. Many times we're set up for the wind, but they came from the side. Mm-hmm. And so I, I learned a lot by, by watching you guys have the most premier, unbelievable peanut fields in the world. <laughs> it's, it's okay being in second place. Uh, I'm, I'm cool with that. <laughs> yeah. that, that. That hasn't been the case for the, many times. No. The, the bet yes, is what he's talking about. Folks. The bet is what he's talking about is a, a block of peanut fields here where we hunt. And, uh, you know, it just that's kind of where they, they hit first whenever they get here. They, uh, have, a, they have a hell of a memory on them. The flooded corn. Is cocaine mm-hmm. flooded peanuts is crystal meth? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. peanut field. There's and, and I, oh gosh, a long time ago when Phil Robertson was out here hunting, I was hunting Phil, and feels like that's this is the greatest duck hunting area in the world, and it really is about the peanuts. People don't understand right. peanuts. There's nothing like them when the birds get on peanuts. It's but what's weird to me is there's peanuts growing all over the United States and flyways, and yeah. they really don't hit them in Kentucky and other places, but here. It's strange. They just go ballistic. You never hear about nobody going to Georgia to hunt ducks. Never. You know, and, and, and hunting ducks over peanuts, y'all do it in Oklahoma stuff. It's crazy. Oh, yeah. I mean, they're, they're yeah. like suicide dive bomb into yep. those, those things. Mm-hmm. You're going, I mean, you, literally, I've, I've hunted peanut fields. Y'all know, you're shooting at them, and they're still coming in. They don't, they yeah. don't care. Yeah. And, uh, but, you know, in Georgia, they don't. You don't hear nothing about it. Nothing no waterfowl hunting there. None. Do, 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 you always find, do, do you find it humorous, the guy? who's never goose hunted before, he goes out, you shoot 50 birds in 30 minutes with him on just one of them day's hunts, and he says to you, 
you know what? I, I got some geese over at my place, over at my dearly. Son. I'm gonna buy me some decoys. They have Man. no clue what they put it, what it takes to do that. None. It, it comes out way too easy on a hot field, and it, it looks easier than it. I mean, we make it's it look easier. Easy. It's easy. Yes. And on a hot, hot day, it is easy. Oh God. But you don't have them field. Most people don't have a, the, the opportunity. Yeah. To do it yourself or to hunt on a fields like that. No, they don't. And, the, and the, yeah, I've heard that that and cranes. What people don't understand is how much work we put in prior. For my whole life, I kept a little uh, flip book. It's a little notebook. I don't do it anymore, but I used to a long time ago. Uh, I, I'm, I mean, I'm eat up enthralled with these, these birds. I, I, I live, sleep, think about geese my whole life. And I kept a book a long time ago uh, about, you know, I'd see fields. I'd drive out to wherever it was, and I'd, I'd draw on this flip book. The weather, the wind, and, and, and the way the geese were in the fields, you know, what are they doing? Because a lot of guys go out to fields, and I even say timber or, or ducks or anything else, and they, they see the, the X, and they say, oh, that's the X. Well, there's a sub-X inside that X, mm-hmm. and it's how those birds are approaching the field. Uh, Justin Hill, if you're listening to this, he's going to call BS times 1,000, but he did. I, he, will, he will now verify this. But there's a difference between feeder fields loafing fields and a bunch of other type stuff just because it's got a bunch of birds in it does not mean that's an active field right i mean i've had my wang handed to me on fields that had ten thousand birds came back the next day not a single bird and the more i thought about it what really happens they got bumped off by a coyote Mm -hmm. they got bumped off by whatever and they all went to that field and so i started learning you know what's a feed field Mm -hmm. and you know the difference i mean decoy set up if if it was up to me we'd have 99.5 percent feeders (laughs) one century who's that weird kid yeah (laughs) like hey what's up here (laughs) he's a lookout because when these birds get into feeds and active feed they're all knee deep nose down barrels down on the on the dirt they're not looking up so so what are you looking for when when you're when you're trying to find this feed field say you find say you're you're late to scout or whatever and you find you're like oh fuck there they are ten thousand birds yeah so what are you are you looking for head position or, or head position and also one thing I look at here is is how they're spread out. Okay. You know when they when they hit those fields first they're all bunched up but you know whether it's peanuts or corn especially silage you know I've been up in Canada I've had the same thing happen in Canada when they get really spread out that's an active feed field mm-hmm. you'll see them from one end of the field to the other mm-hmm. there's no real X in the field the field is the X right. take the the north south east and west corners and draw an X. Versus I've been to other fields, and they're all real tight, feeding mm-hmm. on one spot. Yeah, they're feeding. they got to eat. They metabolize twice a day. But what ends up happening is I've gone to fields, seen that, and, and those fields that the birds are spread from one end to the other, those fields are active feeds. And, right. and you'll see them. The other thing is I've started watching, and you all probably know this, sleeping. Mm-hmm. Those yeah. Birds get down there, eat their fill. They go to sleep or mm-hmm. chill, yeah. eat some more. Yep. You know, it's, it's, it's like a high school kid at a, at a, at a, at a CC's pizza. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, you talked about the fields. Just because there's birds in the field don't mean it's a, a, a hot field. Uh-huh, that's right. Off, off Winchester, a mile yep. west, that dirt field right there, yes. covered up every day. Why? And I don't even know what they're doing in that dirt <laughs> I don't field. Know but we used to, they'd come out of that and stage across and come to us, yes. you know, every day. Every day. And they'd land in there and they'd stage off of it. And the best thing happened to us, they'd rack up, there'd be 10, 20,000 birds sitting in there. And I've never, to this day, understood. I don't either what that is in that field I've because they don't go to it since winchester's been dry right. they don't ever go to that field no more have but if it filled up this year they'd be in that either. field again have you ever hunted that field yes we have i have and i get my butt handed to me every time we've hunted a couple of times we've did that we've never had a great well, we hunt, but we've okay, killed some birds but, yeah we kill birds but i mean every goose 
And, and guys, folks, what we're talking about, when Jeff and I are talking about geese, we're talking in those days a million, million and a quarter birds. Yes, yes. We're not talking a few birds. We're talking we're not talking 10,000 birds. Ask ton of birds in a field. And you go to hunt it, they, I don't, they will not, they'll come over you. And, you, and you, don't get me wrong, we're going to shoot, you know, 10, 20, but I refuse to hunt that field, by the way. <laughs> whoever, whoever wants to lease it, I'll give you the phone number. Well, but they rack up and they come to the bed, it's where you guys yep. were. And, but you almost need them to rack because then they rack and the 20s yeah. and 30s and yes. 50s come and it's right. like. Makes a perfect day. Perfect day. Per, I, and that's for me personally, I'd rather have the birds. I, I love finding those birds. Now, I can tell you the scientific reason for why they're doing it. It's about grit piles. I didn't learn this until I was hunting Louisiana a bunch with uh, Grant Hillman. And over there, they bring in sand to the marshes and speckle bellies. Uh, they have to have that grit to process their food, the grain, the rices. And so they go to fields that are heavy in sand base to get their crawl full of, of uh, basically, uh, for lack of better words, a grinder. Mm-hmm. And they go to a field that's heavy in sand to get their crawl full of grinder. And then they go to the grain fields because, like in Louisiana, they get the rice, but they can't process it because they have to grind it up. And they don't have the ability to chew. And so I think that's what's happened here because for those who have never been out here, we have a we have a lot of sand. We're like, we're like yeah, Saudi. Yeah. <laughs> West Without Texas. the Muslims. <laughs> exactly. And so for us, it's a big deal getting, but that's the other side of it is, I mean, I, like, like up, up by the, uh, just North, you know, the North, what's uh, the, the bowl up there um, on the North McGuire or, or excuse me, uh, East McGuire. That, the, the, what's that? It's a big bowl field y'all have. East of McGuire. Or West oh, oh no 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 the big bevel yeah the big bevel yes. so they go down there oh, right. like every night yeah. but if you look at that that sand it's kind of like a sandy loam and they mm-hmm. go there every night mm-hmm. and you know I've I've learned a lot to don't <laughs> careful scout in those kind of fields too now I don't know about Oklahoma you know you guys hunt a bunch up there and stuff and it may be a little different but for the most part lessers kind of act the same I don't I'll say the the biggest success to our guy service and your guy service is 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 Jeff Stanfield and and, and Justin. Morning scouts are, are everything. Crucial. Crucial. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's times when we have to evening scout, but morning feeds, geese feed differently. Morning scouts mm-hmm. are, I mean, I, I, I'll lay money on it. I'd rather hunt a field that had, if, if Jeff calls us, hey, look, we got birds on XYZ field in the morning. If they didn't come back that afternoon, I still feel okay hunting in the morning. Yeah. But if you drove by there that morning and saw them that afternoon, yep. I don't necessarily think that, that doesn't make me very feel very good. No. I pack a lunch and some extra, <laughs> extra food because we're going to be there a while. Just hope for the best. And we have a big advantage, and, and this ain't yeah. trying to toot everybody's horn at this table, but we've been doing it a long time. That's a big advantage because yeah. you get to know birds' tendencies and what, what they're going to do at every decision. You know, because up in Oklahoma, we're we're getting that way now. There was but the a first year. Curve. Yeah, there was a learning curve there. It's like, oh, the oh, birds yeah. are here, and then the next morning, you're like, son, bitch, and you learn. You know, well, in the north wind now, when the wind blows out of the north, you know, hey, they're probably going to do this. That's right. Because the they're birds right. can stay out of the North Bettis area. That's right. But by gosh, when they're on Winchester and we got a front coming. You That's know where they're, go- they're going. They're going in there every time. There won't be a bird there, but if you hunt there the next morning on North Wind, promise they go straight there. I used to drive Derek McDaniel's crazy when he first came out here because Derek's a Yankee for all those to know on record. <laughs> uh, and so, uh, you know, they're so different than the way we hunt. And that's and literally, I will. T- there's fields here, and Sean Stahl, uh, when I when we were hunting uh, in in Ontario, he's got a field that we hunt, and I won't name the town due to, due to uh, blood pact but when the right front happens on the full moon 
in the given month between uh, September and November, you can figure that out, the birds come. They're, you know, up there, they're molt migrators, but those birds are there. And I've been with Sean uh, filming on TV hunts where there was not a bird there a week before, but the right front pattern happened. He calls and says, hey, we're going, we're rolling, it's time. And literally, we've shown up to those fields. I'm not, I'm not kidding y'all. Two days before, day before, not a single bird's there and beat them like rent was due. <laughs> I mean, it was bad. Because they, they come to those fields, and I, I wrote a paper a long time ago, back, back when I was trying to, to work on education, about uh, uh, called Old Soul Lakes. And, you know, what I love about migratory birds is there's an alarm. And, I, and Sean and I have talked about this forever between uh, Wildfire Magazine and even National Geographic, places we've all talked to, is what makes birds migrate? And a lot of people think it's cold. <laughs> Wrong. These birds live in the tundra, for God's sake. Sure. You're not going to freeze out these birds. Right. It's photo period. Photo period is what makes birds migrate. It's not frontal patterns. I mean, and even up in, up in Canada, it's 100 degrees. It's 85, 95 in yep. September. It's hot. Yep. They're not moving. They, you know, uh, they don't get the little memo from, from corporate offices, hey, by the way, it's 35 degrees, time to head south. Mm-hmm. But when the photo period changes especially up there now we don't deal with that much here up there they will disappear overnight gone by right. felicia <laughs> and uh you know the photo period when the daylight starts changing those birds know but you one thing that's here in our area we we're, we're i love this rain watch this rain but we're, we're we are truly slaves of this rain if yeah. we don't have rain our roost lakes don't fill up we don't have the like stuttgart where we can turn on a switch and pump a field so our roost lakes are everything and and unfortunately jeff and i while we look older, we're only like 27, but we had, <laughs> we had a drought. We had about a five-year drought yeah, that yeah. pretty much, I mean, it, it aged us greatly. Uh, yeah. And But during that time period, I watched these birds. They would fly over the Winchester or the Estes and want to land. They're not a drop of water yeah. there. And they come yeah. over that lake. And, and I started watching this over the past 15 years or so and started you know working with some ornithologists and different groups and you know why why is that and truly it's imprinted these lakes were here for history you mm-hmm. know they didn't have the cultivation but these birds it's imprinted to go to these lakes i mean to see those as jeff i mean my one of my favorite things text from jeff which is just crazy to say is when it nowadays is when those first specks arrive you'll see them flying over the winchester you're like yeah why are there's yeah. not a drop of water in that lake and you're and you are been. flying over it and circling it and circling it and it hadn't been for three or four or five years. At maybe least. longer than maybe that. Maybe longer than that. Maybe but longer than that. something about them says they this leave where it should be. Canada. I need to come to yeah. godforsaken West Texas, middle of the Dust Bowl, yeah. and circle this ginormous wheat, wheat field pond. Is what it is <laughs> and, now. And, and this is October. People don't realize, yeah. first of October, we yeah. have geese. Because I, I got guys in Kansas will be like, well, we ain't got we're, no birds here. We do. We're sitting on 15,000 specks right now. It's we're, unbelievable. Yep. And it's first of all, late well, September, first by October 9th, We'll have 10,000 speckled bellies Well, here. even, even uh, Amarillo. I mean, it, it goes back to this theory. This year, I took Mary Caroline up to Amarillo to hunt cranes. Last time I checked, north is still north. All, and we, <laughs> we've got 15,000 birds here. They don't have a single bird in Amarillo. We're hunting cranes up there. And I'm talking to Toby, and he's like, man, we don't got any birds. I'm like, we are ready for opening day. Right. Those birds flew over. Why? Why mm. did they fly over? Why did they bypass? I mean, black... Look, I, 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 there's a lot of really nice sandals resorts and stuff, and they're all a little different. But why do they pass up all that high quality right. H2O and come down to this? But they do. Yeah. They, they, they're on a beeline to be here. I left Canada one time, October 24th, 25th, and we're talking 
north of Saskatchewan, mm-hmm. the very north, right on the took edge. Eight, of the, took eight or eight yeah. or nine hours to get to the we are in US border. River. Yeah, yeah. And, and and we got to the border, and we saw a few geese around Regina, and a bunch of ducks yeah. around Regina and yeah. geese, and we saw some. We did not see a goose. Yeah, from South Dakota to Knox County. We got Knox County, <laughs> and there's fifteen or twenty thousand geese. And I was like, what the hell? There ain't a goose between here and the Canadian border. It, it makes no sense. It honestly doesn't. But, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm glad we're here. Yeah. But I don't know why they, I don't know why they do that, you know? Well, and you you'd brought up a point like uh, if a north wind hits, you know, and, and Winchester has water in it, they're going to the North Bettis. Done. Ball game. You know? Every day. Uh, so is that imprinted in – do you think that's imprinted into the geese, into so the geese also? I started doing this, and, and I mean – by the way, uh, uh, the Weather Channel app can kiss my lily white <laughs> butt. They don't know jack squat about anything. But what I've, if you look at the lunar phase and you look at the frontal patterns, I will, and, and there's some guys out there, I do this every year, I will, I, I will forecast when the geese will be here within four or five days, mm-hmm. maybe a week. Mm-hmm. If, if we get a frontal pattern on the, front, on the full moon, I don't care when it is, we're going to have our geese. Right. Here's the downside. I can tell you when the geese are going to be here this year. Last year, they showed up. I mean, and every year, it's exactly right. The downside here is I love it when we get that frontal pattern third weekend of October, fourth weekend of October, yep. full moon, frontal pattern. We got geese. What I hate is when you get this first or second week of November. That's when it happens. Mm-hmm. The whole season is just like gimp-legged. It never – but it, and even too early, you know, because you have that four-week period. But if we can get – if we can get – you know, by the way, El Nino can – also kiss that same place uh, <laughs> if we get the frontal pattern and the dip in, in the jet stream with the full moon we got our birds yeah. i mean it's like they hitch on a, a ride on delta mm-hmm. that's what it, you see the jet stream you're like god oh, just fucking dip down just a little oh, bit yeah, more just a little it seems like i don't know i think uh you know things are changing for sure i don't necessarily that's agree fact. with global warming but uh it's weather patterns that, yeah i think so i think that's all it is no i don't i don't I don't say I don't believe in global warming, but I don't believe in global warming. Uh, I've got the degrees to prove it. It's not, it's, it's not necessarily that global warming is the issue. Because what people don't realize also is when the ring of fire was here, uh-huh. one, one volcano right. will mother freak the, the yep. environment. Yep. During that time period, you had volcanoes coming out of the yin-yang, right. blowing no, you know, noxious gases and everything else. And it, changed, and it had an effect. Maybe that caused dinosaurs. I don't know. I don't know any dinosaurs. But <laughs> what we do know is that, yes, weather patterns change. You yeah. know, while we may be having the heat stroke of our life over in the Sahara, they're freezing to death. Yep. And so, you know, I'm not saying that, I mean, I, God, I don't want to get in this conversation, but I'm not saying that global warming is not real, but I'm saying natural disasters have a greater effect on the mm-hmm. environment. I mean, let's face it here. Prior to the drought, our geese changed. Yes. Post drought. I mean, I don't. That's a fact. I mean, yes. Before our drought, I mean, we were over here cashing $100 checks as fast as we could ride them. Mm-hmm. I mean, shooting, shooting birds. I mean, and people don't realize how many birds we shoot. You know, people call BS all the time when we say, oh, I've <laughs> killed 20,000 birds in my career. That's not, I'm, that's not a big brag here. Because right. when you got five birds and, we, you know, we run groups like we do with 20 guys, you're 100 birds a morning. I mean, yep. I mean, how many, I mean we've all done it. But when that drought happened, it changed. It, it changed. We don't. We got a lot of birds. Don't get me wrong. I mean, we're 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 spoiled. We're like we're like that kid with a Rolls Royce and a <laughs> and a Ferrari, and oh, we're yeah. like I don't know. I don't. I'm gonna you know. So we got a lot of birds, but it's not the same. And I don't know where they are. Honestly, I wish I did. 
I think they've spread out everywhere. I think I, I think so too. And every year they bounce around looking at new places. Yeah. I know Southeast Kansas has got a whole lot more birds than they ever used to have by far. And what well, Oklahoma? I mean, Jeff and I've been doing this now for for six or seven weeks, and so you know, nobody shot birds in in in, in Oklahoma. I mean, 25 years or 20 years ago when we were young buck, nobody shot. You, no, you never heard of Oklahoma. No. no. Nobody. And I, now it's a place I to think go. Right, it's a place though. to go. I think it dried up here, and I think the birds right. that concentrated here just. Now, Jeff, you, you know, you've been around at this thing as long as I have. Do you think the. I got a theory on this. Do you think the birds come down here like they, like they used to, but then take a hard left coming down and hit up Oklahoma? I don't know. I've always wondered if they get here and they're like, oh, shit, we got to go somewhere else. Yeah. Or. I mean, the first year of the drought, I'm sure they flew in here, and then they thought, oh, shit, we got to go. They didn't know it was – ain't nobody sent them a postcard in Canada and said Knox County and Haskell County is dry. Yeah. So I'm assuming that – I'm assuming so, but I don't know. I mean, I think a lot of our birds shifted west towards Lubbock for a while. I do too. And then I think – Rawls and all that. But, you know, Hackberry was dry for a long time. That's, and we got a lot of their birds. And then Santa Rosa was dry for a while. Yes. And so all them birds are in Wichita. Now, they're starting to come back up. Yeah. But – I think a lot of our birds did the first year and then the second year less. I've been third. And then three years ago, we picked up a bunch of birds again. And then yeah. last year, we had a lot of birds again. So they're coming back. Yeah. But I think a lot of birds have short stopped in Oklahoma. And we haven't had any winter. And, and, and I'm with and, you on, yeah. the, on the. You're right about the feed. On yeah. the migration. Yeah. But Once weather, here, weather's going to dictate a 500 mile swing on some birds well it's it, it's a fact no and i agree with you on that because once they get here yeah the signal is the photo period but once they get here i mean let's face it you go to mcdonald's and the sign's closed you gotta go somewhere going else somewhere that's else. what happens yeah. we get covered up you know you get froze up you get snowed up or whatever yeah they're gonna move I mean, mm-hmm. and i'm almost talking about geese but if, if they can't get if they can't get water they're gone yeah that's the main yeah. they have to have they water. have to have water so i mean uh that and that's probably the most difficult part about goose guiding. For all you young bucks out there who want to be goose guides and, 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 and waterfowl porn stars or whatever it may be, <laughs> uh, if you really want to be a goose guide, sell your truck and buy a Honda. <laughs> <laughs> People say, you know, I, I was doing a, I did a TV show a long time ago uh, uh, for uh, We Live Outdoors and, uh, with uh, Wadley, and he's like, you know, being a goose guide, blah, 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 blah. And, and I, I told Michael Waddell, and I said, look, here's the deal, man. I said, being a goose guide, if you want to be a goose guide, you got to learn to drive really good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I said, yeah. They, uh, and that's that's fact. If you don't drive, you're not going to kill them. I'm sorry. Yeah. If, if, if Young guys say, hey, I want to be a goose guide. I'm like, get a Honda. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's a fact. I mean, that you want you especially 350. Remember when the gas is four some a gallon? I, mean, I remember it was 49 cents. I do too. Yeah. But, but hey, yes, yes, I know what you're talking about. Well, we, I mean, and you were in the same place that we were at. I mean, our fuel bills were eating all the profit of the company. Yep. It was killing us. You know, it's like, I'll never forget one time. This is, this is back when, when Jeff and I were probably like, boxing each other and trying to kung fu fight in the <laughs> neither world with like swords and machetes and shit. <laughs> but, uh, they, uh, we all roll up on each other, and we look like we look like a like a his, like a Mexican like lawn service. It was like twenty five bucks <laughs> in each truck, you know, because like, it was too expensive. I mean, we're spending we're spending a couple hundred bucks a day driving. Yeah, and so it was like, <clears throat> hey, you guys, get real comfortable with each other. I want to see all your hands. Consolidate. Consolidate. <laughs> you know, you was talking about global warming in Mango. Yeah, the volcano in Hawaii put more CO two in the atmosphere than anything's gonna happen in the next ten years combined. I wish people would act. You know. One of the things I guess that bothers me the most about, let's just call it mainstream Americana, is the lack of education. And, I mean, I'm just a, a dumbstick redneck, 
but I've got an education. People don't, they get so hot on the bandwagon of what media says. I don't care if you're right wing or left. I really don't care. Educate yourself. Do a little reading because you're right. The CO2 and, and, and that came out of that volcano, China doesn't have that problem. No. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that we don't need to be eco-conscious because, I mean, let's face it. If we, as, con- as waterfowlers and, and hunters, we were conservation for conservation is cool. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I'm sorry. You can kiss my lily white butt again because we, what we were doing is we were buying things called licenses. Mm-hmm. That goes into paying for all the parks that have no waterfowl in them, that have no deer in them, and we're cool with that. We spend all of us donate money to these organizations. I mean, go to downtown Dallas. Go to you know the, the next guy come out of Starbucks. Hey man, when was the last time you gave a hundred bucks uh, for, for for something you believe in? Mm-hmm. It's not going to happen. But we go to these DU auctions. Thank you, Budweiser. <laughs> and uh, you know we we. We all donate a lot of money to these organizations, Delta Waterfowl, whatever it is, including ourselves. I mean, looking at what, you know, like here at the Ranchita, I've spent a, you know, my life building these wetlands, and you've done the same thing. We've manipulated all of our lands to make habitat. Mm-hmm. How many of these people around the world have actually gone outside and made their world cleaner, if you will, right. for, for wildlife? But they want to jump on the bandwagon real quick. Oh, my God, global warming, global this, global that. It's like, look, Mount St. Helens put enough pollution, and, I mean, look, Pompeii, those bodies didn't get covered up by cigarette ashes. <laughs> That's right. you, you, you know, if there's a meme going around, did I say it right this time? Meme. Meme. So I don't okay. get that either. Meme, meme obviously. It is. I'm but so there, glad we're not millennials. Yeah. There's a picture <laughs> on, of, of uh, and it says, something, it's a picture, and it says something about waterfowl stamps. Yeah. And it said, you're using this bird watchers. Yeah. You're yes, using I this. shared it. I shared it on uh, Stanfield. Okay. What's, what's it say? I can't remember exactly. Uh, it basically said the same thing you're alluding to as uh it said, "Hey, bird watchers, did you pay so and so for for the? I'll, I'll pull it a up stamp right now. and yeah, basically because you know waterfowlers did. Yep. That's right. It's basically what it said. We've built every first. We, we've talked about Ducks Limited. Ducks Limited has done some great things, especially back in the day. Nowadays, sure. I'm not as eh, big, I'm yeah. big on them, but the, what they what they started doing, they saved the ducks. That's right. Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation saved, saved the elk. elk. Fact. Uh, Big the rock. What's the big horn? Big sheep? horn sheep. The yep. same thing. Yep. Wild Fur- Turkey Federation. They Absolutely. Do, they do stuff. You know. That's right. The bunny huggers and granola crunchers. They don't do yes. shit. No. And you know, and that and that and that's tough for me because you know, I look at I look at this little place here and in, in, in my little existence in this world and you know it, it it makes me sad to think that the population is getting bigger and less and less people are. Con- they like the idea of conservation, but they don't even know what it is. They've yeah. never, you know, that you, <laughs> their idea of conservation is putting five dollars in the bucket at the zoo. That's right, and and and, and saving the pandas and and you know, oh my God, they're 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 killing baby zebras in Africa, you know, whatever. And but what they don't realize is what we do as as hunters, and it and it, and, it, and it's hard for me to take a lot of times, and I you know, I get sentimental about it because I've got kids, and you know, I'm sitting here with your kids, and you know. We were talking about uh, watching uh, uh, Dance with Wolves. You know, the whole reason he went out west was because he wanted to see he wanted to see the West before it was it was over. Mm-hmm. Isn't that amazing to think that that far ago there was a guy in his mind yeah. wanting to get away from civilization? When there see, wasn't even civilization. I wanted to see the frontier before yes. it's gone. Yes. You know that that's my favorite line in that movie. He, you know, he's he's over there and he's like he's in that he's in the the, the town and the the general's like so why are you here? He's like well I want to see the frontier before it's gone. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
push pause and look in the background. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't say it's metropolitan. No, no, not at all. <laughs> but even then, it's like I look at here, and, and, and you know, one of the things that, that, that I mean, it'll bring a tear to my eye is, is Katy Perry. And I've seen a lot of, you know, not to date myself, but I, I've seen a lot of phenomenal goose. Even Amarillo is a prime example. There's a, where I shot my first band and grew up is a, is a place off of, off of Western Street where, where Western rolls into uh, the loop. And, of course, when I was there, it wasn't there. But, and I got to go back this year and hunt there. But back then, I mean, we killed the living bejesus out of birds. And now there's a, there's a golf course there and there's a, there's a UA Cinema. Don't get me wrong, it was kind of cool this year shooting birds <laughs> after watching a movie. That was kind of cool. <laughs> and, and we were shooting out decoys and there was like golf balls everywhere. But it was sad to think that, you know, as urban sprawl goes, that's eating up our waterfowl property. Sure and yep. these people are like, you know, we need to save the, we need to save the wild guppies and everything else. Don't get me wrong. I mean, that was my whole reason going to college, to save wild guppies. But uh, the people who, who are the loudest spend the less. And that kind of pisses me off a lot. It's like, you know what, when was the last time you spent some money? Right. Yeah. Putting your money in your mouth is birders. I mean, you know, what Sarvovsky, uh, everybody knows um, the, from making uh, everything from jewelry to, to optics, their biggest division, parts of it, are the birding industry. And people don't understand the birding industry is bigger than the hunting industry. I've gotten, you know, working with a lot of the companies I've got to work with a photographer, birding is a major part of their world. And, but yet birders don't spend any money. They're not, they're, not, they're not buying licenses. Nope. They're not putting money back in the kitty. Mm-hmm. But we do as hunters. Yep. And I don't want to get all political, but you know, I'm looking at like, hey, you know, if you want to ride the ride, you're going to have to buy two tickets. That's yeah. right. <laughs> you know, Canadian Texas, I believe, has got uh-huh. the, the Gene Howe. prairie chicken. Oh, yeah, yeah. The yeah. prairie chicken. Yep. Gene Howe. And they have all these people that go up there every, yes, year, every year to take a picture of these prairie chickens. I have. And yeah, but, free. Yeah, that's right. But if you charged them all $25 a spot to get in there, they wouldn't be there. Nobody would show be up. there. Wouldn't be a soul no. there. And uh, if Texas Parks and Wildlife is listening, my <laughs> end goal in this entire existence is to be on your board uh, at eGoogie on Instagram. So uh, <laughs> they, uh, and that's right, you know, Texas Parks and Wildlife, they, they, they use license money to fund these, these places. You know, one of the, as a photographer, one of the greatest places to go shoot um, uh, waterfowl photography is in New Mexico of all places. And, uh, so it's, it's outside of, uh, Albuquerque and it's a, it's a bird sanctuary, but it, it's all funded by hunting licenses and anything mm-hmm. else. And yep. you, you know, talking about the refuge right south of town? Yeah. Yeah. I can't think of the name of it. Right Apache now. del Norte. Okay. And, uh, so, I mean, that's where I cut my teeth. You know, what my, my mentors in photography, I went there and there's so many, uh, wildfowl or ducks unlimited magazine cover shot there. Cause they're all banded. They're they're free tarded, <laughs> and you can sit there and they'll fly right at you, banded, and you can say, "Oh my God, we're in the spread," even though you're yeah. sitting in, in a not a spread. But it's free, and you know, m- people go to parks all the time for free, and they don't understand that. Look, this is being funded by the people that you're cursing. Yep. I mean, exactly. You know, and that's my and honestly, that was my career. How I got started in this whole business was because of that you know. For those who, who've seen me and stuff, I got hair down to God knows wherever. And, you know, I wear Birkenstocks and I was just this like free range hippie when I was a killer. And I was living in New Mexico as a fly fishing guide. And, you know, and I was that, I was that, that kid following the Grateful Dead, raising his sign up, you know, screw all, screw everybody, everything else, and, you know, save the guppies. And what I found out was that's not, 
that doesn't save the guppies. What saving the guppies is the guys who go out there and find the politicians, find the people, and educate them, and say, "Look, let me show you something. Mm-hmm. Let me show you, you know, what you're not doing." And that's what more people don't do. They don't spend the time, money, and effort to go actually make a change. They want to hold the sign up and say, "Save the guppies." But they don't want to. They only want to pay twenty five cents for the poster board and the spray paint. Yeah. <laughs> now, now, since you've been hunting for yeah. your whole life, yeah. How many other guys have you met? that have went to an Ivy League school like you did? Uh, none. <laughs> none. That was a, yeah, none, actually. I'm what, trying to think. I what made you one. decide to go to Harvard? You know, it was kind of one of those weird deals. Uh, I, I was a guy to the core, and I still am, and I never thought about business or anything else, and it, I never thought I was going to, you know, college for me, I went to go to college to, 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 to save the guppies, and, when I got out of school and I saw that uh, I was going to make $25,000 a year with about $80,000 in student loans, saving the guppies, because <laughs> yeah. my, my background's in botany and biology, uh, I actually changed majors uh, as a second semester senior. Thank you, Mom and Dad. They actually didn't <laughs> pay for it, but, uh, you know, I, I'm one of those kids that earned his right to pay for his own college the first semester, <laughs> freshman semester. <laughs> I worked really hard. Sir, you have a zero point. <laughs> Zero. <laughs> no, sir. I went to. Well, okay, hold on. <laughs> and so my parents gave me the, the freedom to earn my own education. And uh, after that first semester. And, uh, you know, what? I never, I always was kind of anti business, anti all that stuff. I just want to say the guppies. And, you know, but at the same time, this thing called B I L L S came about and they're, they're constant every 30 days. Yes. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and so guiding everything else, I, I always used, uh, I always, had other jobs, you know, in, in, the, in the off season in order to, to kind of fund the on season. And even on the guide service, I mean, people don't understand owning a guide service. People think, oh, my God, you're charging, you know, $300 a gun or anything else. They don't think about guns, bullets, guides, food, lodging, gas, taxes. There's gas, not one outfit living in Highland Park. Not the last time I checked. There's not one. <laughs> not last time I checked. And, uh, you know, people don't understand that, what it costs to run a guide service. And so, I, you know, I, I always had a background in construction and you know, I, I, I started this construction company with my, my folks, my folks were in construction and I uh, ended up, you know, just, it was a good way to, in the off season to earn some money on the back end of the shovel. And uh, from there I ended up, uh, you know, working for my folks in the off season and then ended up starting my own company stuff with them and doing, and I ended up uh, doing pretty good in the deal. And I had some a board of directors cause I always hired people smarter than me, which is about 99% of the population. And uh, they said, hey, you know, you've done a good job here, but, you know, you're kind of at the top of the food chain at the company. And, I mean, your employees aren't going to tell you no. And so you, but there's a lot you don't know. And, and they're right. There's a lot I didn't know. And so I needed to, to go get an education uh, at a higher level. And, and they said, well, look, you know, you need to look at, you know, masters or something else. And I said, man, we, we hire those, those coneheads, you know, by the dollar. And, you know, I don't need an numbers after letters after the end of my name to, to say that I'm a smart guy or anything else. We hire those guys and then we fire them too. They're expensive. And, uh, but the more I thought about it, I was like, you know, if I'm going to do this, if I'm going to take this time in my life to go ahead and learn more, I want to actually learn more. I don't need the letters. And so, uh, I, I went ahead and applied to, uh, only Ivy league schools. So I'm like, you know what, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this right. And I got rejected and like, like like straight up stiff arm up on the top rim, LeBron James up my <laughs> up my schnoz, 
and uh, for two years. And it's kind of a funny story how I got into Harvard. I'll tell you the story real quick. Uh, it actually involves Justin Hill, of all people. And uh, so I applied two years to, to Wharton and Harvard and Yale and all the other, other schools. And, and uh, of course, I got rejected. And then the third year, just kind of as a, I was like, you know what, I'm, I'm going to do it anyways. But, and I get this call from, from this number in, in, in Cambridge. And, uh, and I answer it. I'm not thinking anything of it, you know. I'm waiting for that rejection letter. Dear Mr. Guggenheim, we really appreciate you filling out this application, <laughs> blah, 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 blah. However, you're an idiot. But, uh, and this lady is talking in a, seems like a normal Eastern accent. And, you know, uh, you know talk, when we scheduled an interview and I was talking to him. And this whole time I'm thinking it's Justin Hill and he's got some cracker <laughs> on the other end of the line because he's, you know, he's, he's. Now, Justin Hill's your pint-sized friend that's in the hunting business, right? And he's a shot glass size. <laughs> shot glass size. <laughs> he, he's wee, very angry leprechaun. And Justin's so, five foot two for everybody on a windy day. Wearing stilettos. <laughs> and Oshkosh Bagosh tightened up tight. <laughs> He and so the, I'm uh, thinking he the probably Sitka. He could show, he, he saves money by buying. No, he does. Sitka. He buys the kids stuff. And he's like, <laughs> he's, like <laughs> he's like, hey, look, man, I see the kids uh, stuff's half price, and he's like, it's the same material. I'm like, no, it's totally the same material. I'm like, however, it's got like a little pouch for a passy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and, he, uh, and so I'm thinking it's him, and I'm over here being this jack clown on the phone to these people because I mean, there's, I mean, there's, I figured I'd have a letter or something. And I'm over talking to this lady, and she sounds completely legit. Mm. And, but I'm like, and so I'm like, I texted the guy, and I'm like, and he's like, what? So I literally, at, the, at one point, I'm like, during this interview, I realized this is like, I think it's for real. So I hang up and call Justin. I'm like, hey, man, look, <laughs> did you, uh, that's pretty good, man. You did pretty good. You even, Prank me. You, 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 even got, you even got a 318 area code, man. That's pretty cool, man. It's straight up Cambridge on my cell phone. iPhone, that's pretty cool. I think we're on iPhone, too. But I'm like, he's like, no, I didn't, man. I didn't think, I didn't think you applied this year. And I was like. No, I did. I didn't tell anybody because, I mean, my fear of rejection. And he's like, had I known, yeah, I totally would have done that. I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> okay, hold on. I got to call you back, man. I got I to gotta call these people back. I got a story to tell. So I call, I call him back, and uh, I called the admissions lady, and, and I talked to him. I said, hey, look, I'm sorry. Y'all, and I, just told, I was just straight up with them. I just told them what happened, and they're like, you really need to get some better friends. <laughs> I'm like, that's an understatement. <laughs> so I ended up doing the interview, and, and – I get, I get into Harvard and, and uh, I'm like, oh my God, they're not ready for me, not ready for them. I'm, I'm all bringing jihad and stuff up there. Yeah. And uh, I get on campus first day and I'm looking around waiting for a sniper in the tower to take me out. Like, <laughs> <clears throat> Mr. Guggenheim, uh, <laughs> there's been a there's been a problem in your application. We're gonna need you to go straight to jail. <laughs> <laughs> and I end up, you know, sure enough, I end up graduating and, and uh, it happens. How long were you up there? Like three years. And uh, how long at a time? So uh, I was there for, for months at a time, and then I come back home, and that program I was in in graduate school, uh, you actually had to use your business as, as part of your project. So you'd, you'd come to school, work with these freaking ridiculously smart people, and uh, uh, did most back, of them really know about the business world, or is they just no clue what's going up. on? Straight no, up. They, no, these are straight-up killers. My, my professor uh, is, now the, is now the Fed chair. These people... Harvard is very different. So what makes Harvard different than all other business schools 
is they don't, they're not academics. They, they could give two rats' asses about academia. In order, so in order to be a professor at Harvard, first thing happens, one, they run successful businesses. They don't hire academics. They could care less about hearing a, a Porter's Five Force model that, by the way, cost me a lot of money to learn. <laughs> uh, they could care less about that. These are all people who worked in the business world. I mean, I've had, I've had the chairman of Microsoft. Uh, I, I had strategy taught uh, by Colin, you know, Colin Powell and some phenomenal people as my professors. Uh, I'm out there, I mean, uh, Deepak, I mean, Deepak negotiated the, 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 the Israeli peace accord and some other guy and some other professors did that stuff. And Deepak, uh, did the, did the NHL, uh, and the NFL walkout. I mean, these are guys who have real life experiences. And, uh, and then of course I had Michael Porter and some other professors there who are, but these are all guys who run businesses, uh, and, and done it. And they came back to teach. So at, at Harvard, they don't want people who do theory. It's not mm-hmm. that they could care less about that. They're, they're into, you know, have you done it? You know, put your money where your mouth is. And so, you, you know, you're talking to the chairman of Goldman Sachs in his office, and you're talking about business. He's like, yeah, I get it. I've been there. I understand payroll. I understand all that stuff. And it's, it's actually true. And as opposed to a lot of schools, they let, you know, I wrote a paper on, you know, uh, the, some accounting practice, blah, blah, blah. No, no, these are folks that down and dirty. So all the people in my class, the other thing is, in order to go to HBS, you also have to have, a certain number of years in business. They don't just don't let you come in just because right. you made a 4.0. So for all these people who wanted to go, they don't care about your grades. It's about your interview. What have you done to change the world? My favorite story was a, a, a guy I know. He went and got his interview, goes up to Boston, and his luggage doesn't make it. And so he's like, he's freaking out, trying to figure out he's going to get his coat and tie and everything else, and he, he doesn't know what to do. So he goes and makes a sandwich board and stands on the corner and uh, – and ends up getting a tie and a jacket and goes to the interview, not matched. And, you know, he tells him, look, I'm sorry I'm disheveled. My luggage didn't make it. Mm-hmm. And they just said, no, what did you do? He's like, I made a sandwich board and said I needed, you know, a, a coat and a tie and all this stuff. And I got it all donated right here, right now. And they're like, you're in. Yeah. And that's, that's literally how it was. They, they, they cared more about uh, what are you going to do in the world? And that's one of the, the big things about HBS. For those who've never been to Cambridge, you have Harvard, which is on the right side of the river with MIT, and then you get the left side of the business school. We are like the stepchildren of that entire left-wing organization. <laughs> they don't care, black, white, blue, Republican, Democrat. It's about making money yeah. and about, about making a purpose. They're, the entire precedence of the school is making a difference. And that's, really, that's, that's what we do here, whether we're guides. I mean, Jeff, how many guides have you had work for you? I don't know. We talked this 30 to 50. Yeah. I mean, and how many of those, I mean, world champion goose callers, decoy makers. I mean, everybody who's anybody in this industry has come here to guide. Just about. Just about. I mean, now it's a little different, but you name it. They're, they come here. Yeah. They work for you. We work for us. You know, work for, for smoking Kathy, whatever it has been. But, you know, and that's, that's the thing. It's like it was people who came here to learn something. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, take Ron Winicky. I mean, most of you people don't know who that guy the is. Truck. Right. I mean, or, or you know, um, what's his name? Uh, I worked for Tim Cathy, one of the world duck and goose. Uh, the Hudnall kid? No, no, not Field. Field? Uh, uh, yeah. Oh, I, Trey Crawford? Yeah, Trey Crawford. I mean, Trey Crawford, I mean, that's one of the greatest waterfowl colors in the world. He came here to learn something. You know, to learn to shoot yeah. birds here right. is and, an education. And took care of the meals or something over there. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> how how long were Field and Clay here for? 
Uh, I think it was two seasons. Two seasons. One or two seasons. Uh, <clears throat> it was like 2004 or five, I believe. It's yeah. been a long time. Summer, yeah. No, but I mean, we've a lot of people have come through here, and, and that's and, but they came here for education, and right. you know, it's, it was no different going up there. And so, you, you think know, the young guys guiding now get that? No, you know that it, it it worries me a little bit. You know, my career started working for Orvis um, as a, as a fishing guide, and when I worked for Orvis, part of their their guide training program is I had to work under somebody learning the business because they really didn't care about catching fish. I was a fish catching machine. They didn't care about that. Right. It's the customer experience. They wanted you with a top shelf guide who, you know, catching fish is how you got there. But, you know, we have here at Ranger Creek, we have a kind of a same program here where guys like Cody Grounds, Cody, uh, you can uh, shake yourself uh, on Instagram at codygrounds.com <laughs> or whatever. But, uh, you know, these young guys who came here, even Derek McDaniels, we, we made them come here and, and learn the business. The business is not killing geese. That's the easy part. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, a lot of folks ask me, what it takes to become a guide? Shoot a zero and have your customers tip you a thousand bucks. Yeah. You learn to do that. Right. You're a guide. Mm -hmm. You know, it's easy to get, it's easy to, when you're sitting on the X and shoot a 70 man or 70 bird limit and everything else. But then to have a day when you're, you've tried everything you try. I had a guy, one of my biggest tips ever, uh, we didn't kill anything mm -hmm. i moved the decoy i must have moved the decoys like tetris some of you kids <laughs> out there don't know what tetris is but <laughs> I, and you tried everything i mean yeah. i blew every note and that was in the songbook, and it just didn't happen yeah and the guys said you know what you worked your ass off mm -hmm. and that's what it takes to be a guide and i don't think that's happening i think a lot of kids nowadays they take they, they take these maps or digital data they go out there they call their mom and dad's buddies or whoever and you know squander some hunts and they go out and try to get land but they're not guides. They haven't mm -hmm. done the time. Yeah. You know, that's like, and that's like HBS. You got to do the time. And whether you're, well, I don't care what business you're in. You know, your business is no different than any other business in Wall Street. You got to do the time. Right. And, and you got to, there's going to be good days and bad days. I mean, hell, if I, I mean, how many times have you looked at the check at the end of the week and going, man, I got to pay these guides, man, you know, some corporate client didn't send his money in or whatever it was. Yeah. It's no different. All business is the same. And, you know, I'm I, in, in my traditional business, I do. Cash flow is everything, and that's where guide service don't understand is cash flow. You know, to employ people, it's easy to run you and your buddy mm -hmm. live in the back of a trailer and everything else, but that's not a guide service. Right. A guide service is when you've got a bunch of people depending on you to br to bring in those clients. You got to put customers in the front you of them. You got to do places to hunt. That's so right. And that's what defines, I think, guide services versus freelancers. Yeah. These Facebook to me is killing the hunting business oh, because plants. you get all these you get all these dipshit kids. Mm -hmm. that think they're guides. Yes. They post some pictures up. They have a couple of good hunts, and I'm a guide. I'm a guide. Well, 20 years ago, you didn't deal with that. No. 10 years ago, you didn't deal with it. Now, and I just saw somebody new in Lubbock was throw a deal up today. That oh, they, my God. Another outfitter out there. Thank God we're not in Lubbock, by the way. But they do it all the time. <laughs> Between the Raider Rash and guide yeah. services. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing I want Lubbock. But they're everywhere. Everywhere. There. And there used to not even be a guide service in Lubbock 15 no. years ago. It, well, if it wasn't for Haskell, Lubbock wouldn't exist, guide service wise. I that's mean, right. After, I mean, that's what started it all. That's what started Haskell, Texas. The breakup, the the the, the breakup of the Webfoot uh, of, of Angelina uh, or Brangelina. <laughs> no, the Brangelina breakup of Webfoot caused Lubbock to happen. Yep. yep. And you know, that's the that's the crazy part of what people don't understand about this area is the amount of 
I caught famous waterfowlers that were all down here as young kids competing against each other daily. Yeah. <laughs> yep. It was nuts how many yeah. world champions and state champions, I mean, and just decoy carvers, whoever it was. But you look at Lubbock, I mean, that place, it's like every time I turn around, it's another guide service on Facebook or Insta, InstaFace or, or, or Faceplant or whatever it is. And, <laughs> you know, I, I, and, I, and I'm, I'm the first person to say about social media, I kind of, you know, I, social media is, for me is a, it's a tool, not a, not a, not a hobby. Uh, as a photographer, I mean, I had to step on the game. I didn't actually didn't have an Instagram account until about two year, two or three years ago, or two years ago, wherever it was, because I just didn't understand the the purpose of it. But you know, it, it's it's in those days we did we trade, we went to shows. Yeah. I mean, we went to trade shows. I mean, I, you and I've been to God, how many times have I smelt those stupid ass caramel nuts nuts yeah, that's what you were gonna say <laughs> oh my god you can smell them anywhere you go anywhere you go i mean we were beef jerky we were somewhere the other day and they were smelling and, and i don't remember where we were at and i walked in i was like it smells like i'm at the trophy hunter show here and that's what we did to get our clients we didn't have we i mean we didn't have hell when you when did you start when 1992 you start 93 was my first years to guide full-time and i started ranger creek in 2000 2001 uh with renell and and uh, after JC, wherever he is today, he's still alive. Is he really? And I was shocked by that. I or he was last time someone. I, I was surprised he hadn't. I thought been he'd killed. be gone by now. Yeah. Uh, by you know the problem with that guy is that the, the, if he actually got murdered, the amount of people who in line claiming it. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, it was me. Man. I'm willing to do the time. <laughs> but yeah, he's still kicking. Last no I heard, I was surprised kidding. by that. I, yeah, I've tried to find him. I figured he'd be on. I mean, he's one of those guys. He may be 119, but he probably has a Facebook or Instagram. I can't find him. But I'll I, tell you a story about JC. He, a buddy of mine and him went to Houston. Uh-huh. To, to Eagle Lake, so it had been like late 80s, uh-huh. and that's my first time I'd ever met this guy. He was on the same lease with these guys. <laughs> and back then, Larry Gore would lease yeah. out. Yeah. They, they had season leases, and their guided yeah. hunts. Well, yeah. their guided guys got all the good hunts. Right. But th- then the season lease guys had to pick up the scraps, and they'd go into a little trailer in the morning, and they you're on field 14, and right. they had a little map, and you'd go do it. So anyways, they were going down there, and we were going to meet them, and they get halfway between Waco and wherever the hell they're going, and JC's like, God, I got a shit. <laughs> And this guy's name is Steve, and Steve goes, well, shit, it's 15 miles the next exit. He said, God, I got shit bad. He's like, God, dang. He said, he said, man, I got shit bad. He said, pull over at that house right there. And he goes, huh? He goes, pull over at that house right fact. there. And he pulled over, and he said, went over, and he knocked on the door. He said, I got a shit. And he walked inside, and he took shit, and he got in the truck and left. He said, I didn't realize until about two months later that he actually knew those people before. He said, I thought it was just some random people. <laughs> he said, never said a word. Man, that's, that's, and that's how I got you – know, that's what I, I met J.C. the second year I was out here. And, uh, yeah, that guy, I mean, most people, know, no, nobody in this world would know who he was, but he, uh, yeah, I, I could, we could have a whole radio show of all the stupid stuff I've done with that old man. <laughs> he, I mean, he, if you look up crazy or Google it or Wikipedia, his picture's right yeah. there, double thumbs up. Yeah. The guy's insane. <laughs> what a character. Okay, we're going to get into, yeah. I want to talk about this real quick. Yeah. Cause, so you went to Harvard. Yes, sir. And you went to school with Tyra Banks. Yep. She's good looking in person as she yeah. is on TV. You know, so this is this is kind of here's my story with Tyra. Uh, she and my my good pals and good friends. But man, I kind of lived in a cave my whole life. I grew up without it. I didn't have a TV or anything growing up. And and being a fishing guide, I lived in a tent in, in Colorado and and uh, I just never really uh, pleasure myself to Victoria's Secrets because you're <laughs> trying to get Victoria's Secrets catalog uh, angels delivered to a tent and in Crested Butte is <laughs> yeah. not easy to do. I mean, and so. I, I kind of knew the name, but didn't really know who she was. And so uh, we're, we're in class the first day, and 
in, in, in Harvard, you have, you have the name. Every class you go to, they have a person who puts your name in front of your, your, your seat. Every single class. There's a reason for that, and I can tell you all later about it, but why. But, and it says Tyra Lynn. And it looked pretty familiar. And I was like, okay, you know, uh, she's looked like somebody I knew, but I didn't know. And so we live in, in, in your living group. You don't, you don't, you live in a dorm and, but you have, uh, you know, seven to eight, 10 people in your group, your living group. And, uh, and so I'm asking one of my friends, Marie Pierre, and I'm like, you know, everyone's talking about Tyra Banks, Tyra Banks, Tyra Banks. And I don't, and she has a bodyguard, uh, I didn't know anything about yeah, she's her. She's living in the dorms too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. They, they at HBS they don't give a they don't care who you are. You 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 could be the president of the United States. Your ass is going to sit <laughs> in a dorm like everybody else, and they don't they don't care. They did allow her bodyguard for for safety reasons, and and I can I can tell you stories later why. Now I know why she has them, but um, they uh and so you know we got class the same, and so we have we're in, uh, we have living groups, and so. I get to know Tyra, and I don't know her from Adam, and she looks like everybody else. I mean, she's just a person, and uh, I'm a I'm a big reader. Uh, I like to read a lot, uh, most about uh, wildlife, and uh, I'm gonna nerd out on you called transcendentalism. And there's a Henry David Thoreau. A lot of the guys who, who were in those days were kind of weirdos. They were all waterfowl riders. And Henry uh, David nature, Thoreau was yeah yeah he's a transcendentalist that. yeah Thoreau. And so on so. I really wanted to. I'm up there, I and mean, you gotta realize. I mean, I'm I'm like West Texas, you know, redneck mm-hmm. up in Boston in Cambridge, and uh, but I, I want to go to Walden Pond. I'm like, man, I want to go see where this is all about, man. This, I mean, they got geese up there, and by the way, all the geese in in the entire Boston area are banded. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, God Almighty, if I had a seven, no, I'm just kidding, folks. I'm just kidding about all that. Uh, yeah, but uh, they, uh, and so I want to go to Walden Pond, and and I got to know her. Uh, her bodyguard, which is really cool. I learned a lot about the bodyguard business. All those guys, <laughs> most in, in the bodyguard business are, are, are theologians and English majors. And I always ask them, why? I'm like, what? You know, I mean, he's you, really? a, a gun packing, killing machine. Yeah. And they said, no, no, no. We're, as bodyguards, our job is not to kill somebody. It's to move our subject out of the way. So we have to think differently. We think of mm-hmm. how to remove ourselves, not to protect. And so they're very deep thinkers. And so I invite this cat. I'm like, Hey man, look, we're going to grab an Uber. It was, it was invented up there and it just started. It wouldn't even, I mean, it was literally in beta testing. And so I download Goober or whatever it is. And so I download (laughs) Uber and we go, when we go hitch a ride over to Walden Pond and and I became good, pretty good friends with this cat. And he, uh, and so which, you know, he comes back and says, Hey, look, this guy's legit. By the way, Tara's, uh, grandmother and, and them family are from Texarkana. I didn't know that. Yeah, most people don't know that. Know and so, you know, she sticks to herself for a little bit because, you know, this is year one. And we become, you know, really good friends because she's as normal. And I'm, you know, I'm one of those guys, what you see is what you get. I, I'm not, I don't want to be pretentious. I don't care. I mean, uh, I like to tell tall tales and be funny and all that kind of fun stuff. Harry, who doesn't? But, you know, when you're up there with, with folks that are just so talented, you, you, you got to learn real quick to humble yourself and just, and so I, I just me mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm this West Texas cowboy. And I'm like, look, I don't belong here. And we got along. And so after a while we became you know very good friends, uh, just on that, that level. Cause I didn't, I didn't care who she was, but mm-hmm. she's brilliant, freaking brilliant, smart, you know, but she had, you know, she's also an entertainer. I mean, look, we're, we're here at doing a radio show. If, if we sat here and be like, 
So we like to kill geese and we blow calls honga honga hooda hooda. Nobody liked that. I mean, no. we overhear Jeff Stanfield, I kill that son of a bitch, blah, blah, blah. And then people like that. You know, if y'all listened to the Coyote Show last week, I highly recommend that. <laughs> Especially talking <laughs> about wives. Yeah, practice wives. <laughs> practice wives. <laughs> and so, you know, going through that whole deal, uh, you know, that was a, that was a, getting to know her real well and, and we're still friends we just, we talk a, a lot is, is she's a mom now and um you know it, it, she has a a business just like the rest of us i mean she has payroll issues and attorneys and lawsuits and everything else and and honestly the more i got to become close friends with her the the more uh the more i realized that's that's the, probably the worst profession in the world i mean on a Saturday, beauty, you and me go over industry. to Bud's and eat us a, a, a burger or, a, 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 you know, some breakfast food. We want to get a pancake, whatever. We couldn't do that. If, if she and I and, and our crew wanted to go, uh, there's a place called uh, Liberty Hotel. We'd go out there to, to go grab a, a, a beer or something. It was a production. And this one time we were, we were um, at the Liberty, uh, this one hotel, uh, we have to go in the back door. We have to all this stuff. And we're just, we're just trying to have a conversation like this. And sure enough, some punk-ass 13-year-old girl sees Tyre Banks and goes buck wild. Next thing you know, there are crowds of people around. We're just trying to eat a little dinner. That's all. I mean, no, I mean, just being regular folks, eating a little dinner. I'll show you some pictures in a second. <laughs> and, I mean, going to the mall, I went shoe shopping with her one time. And, I mean, going to the mall, you, she can't go anywhere. She's literally in a prison 24-7. So what, I don't understand why people like that don't want to live in a knock city or somewhere she, where she, after the new wears off in two days, you're nobody. They do. I mean, because Jeff Stanfield lives in knock city. Yeah. Fuck, people don't fuck with me no more. Well, it's like John Mayer. <laughs> you know, John Mayer. Uh, I mean, he's a super cool guy. He, he lives in Montana, middle of nowhere, Montana. Right. And he's cool with that. Yeah. And, you know, it, it, it take Wyman Menzer. I mean, you got these folks they can't go anywhere, especially your your, your big stars, your, your your big musicians and your big uh, actors. You know, I've gotten to know so many of those folks from other business stuff, and they are truly in prison. You know, a lot of people think, oh, my God, they're spending a million dollars going to, to Maldives. Right. They can't go anywhere. Like this house here, this house here has had a lot of really cool musicians <laughs> in it. And there's, you know, I tell people all the time, if you ever see a tour bus roll up uh, through town, <laughs> come to this house, they're probably going to play music. But they, they can't. They can't go out and, and, and go get a donut. Right. And like with Tyra, Oh, my God. Everywhere did you see Tyra's eating that they donut do. over there? Uh, and, and, the, and the paparazzi and pictures. I mean, it's – I feel bad for her. I mean, she and I talk about it a lot. And it's stupid that we, we got to go spend all this money to go have a cup of coffee because you got to go in the back door and sit in the back. And Yeah. So in in some in some ways I'm so glad. I mean, of course Jeff has that same problem. You know, everywhere he goes. Yep. Well, it's everywhere he goes. Been a professional nipple tweeter. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, she she was a. I mean, still to this day one of my my good friends and and I thoroughly enjoy. Uh, she's actually held goose calls. She's actually held my lanyard. <laughs> We're gonna do some pictures with that. And, and <laughs> she's like, and I kind of it's kind of those awkward deals. And uh, I actually did a photo shoot with her uh, uh, with one of our friends who's having a baby. I'm like, this is awkward as hell. I'm shooting a half-naked uh, uh, pregnant chick in a dormitory in Harvard with Tyra <laughs> Banks. <laughs> that was weird. Let, let, was she not. giving Poe's advice? Like, hey, get your No, get actually, okay, totally. Here. That actually is true. She was? So, for all you guys out there, uh, I'll give you some Tyra Banks posing advice for guys. Number one, wear something with a V that oh, comes okay. down. I got like you. Like a V-neck or something. Plunges a little bit. Yep. And then, if this feels weird, 
and having your neck faced out and your chin up, the, the, the camera, and I can tell you this from shooting waterfowl photos, the camera can't tell depth perception. Mm -hmm. So when you got your head back and double chin and everything else, it makes you look bigger. So having that neck out kind of stupid, believe it or not, makes you look good. I'll be walking <laughs> around like a chicken all oh, the time. All that long wolf. breaking neck. Yeah. Oh, the other thing is find somebody else uglier than you to sit next to. <laughs> that's, why I used to, that's why I used to hang out with Charles Steele all the time. Always yeah. look good. Yeah. Okay. Uh, fact. Uh, let, let's go with this now. Okay. You build custom guitars. Yes, sir. And, you're, and you've played some music. Uh-huh. Tell us about the guitar making, because that's not something, I mean, we no. went from fishing, duck calling, yeah. top model, I don't even know Harvard, what the fuck all we've covered. Yeah, and, and, and now, you build guitars, and Stoney LaRue just has yeah, your guitar? Yeah, so uh, a lot of musicians, that's a, uh, actually got it over there, one of them over there. They, uh, so when I, but this actually all ties back to guide business. A lot of people say, you know, God, you've done a lot of stuff. It all revolves around, uh, revolves around guiding. It's called making a living. Yeah. <laughs> the bad part about guide season is the day it's over. Yep. It's, it's like, really oh. difficult to guide in March. Yes. <laughs> you can. I've heard about outfitters doing that. I think I know some guys just some time for that. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's why I don't guide deer hunts. You know, uh, no, I thought it was I thought it was tribal land. <laughs> no man, <laughs> fun about fishing game. They really don't care about that. <laughs> so. Uh, you know, uh, when I got out of college, uh, I, you know, I've been a musician my whole life and gotten fortunate to play with some, some fun, different groups and people and whatnots. And, uh, but it's a hard life. You know, what, what people don't realize is that if you want to make it big in the music business, write a song. Yeah. Suck playing instruments. Write a song. Well, that's what... Umbop. Chris God Stapleton, sakes. you know, yeah. he, he was a songwriter Absolutely. before he ever made it big. Yeah. I, you know, when... I, when uh, uh, one of my projects uh, was producing a movie about George Strait yeah, not and the Dean name. Dillon. Yeah. And, uh, you know, people don't realize when we're making that movie about Dean Dillon, you know, if it wasn't for Dean Dillon, most babies wouldn't be here because George Strait's <laughs> songs created a lot of babies. <laughs> but, you know, Dean Dillon wrote 60 songs for George Strait, man. Really? Most people don't know Dean Dillon. No. They know George Strait. And so being a producer of, of a movie – uh, about those things my buddy Cole Clausen you know he was one of my roommates in college and my music were make, making guitars and stuff he's like I explained to him what our, our style of music is uh, he's from California about country music and uh, but at the end of the day you got to play something and so for me it was uh, being a musician is about what the instrument sounds like at the end of the day and so I went actually went to school because uh, I was like you know what I can guide in the wintertime make money guiding and then I can build instruments and still stay tied to the world and I'll have to tour or play music with uh, bands. Because what most people don't know is that being a musician, like in Nashville, there's broom guys pushing brooms that are as better than anybody out there. 100%. And, and I'm, I'm a good musician, but there's guys out there that are, I mean, they're not making a nickel, but then the songwriting's in. I'm not a songwriter. I wish I was. I've written a lot of melodies with guys, but never, never those words of... Excuse me, I think you got my chair. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and so, you know, uh, I mean, I'm not a big fan of guys like Dirk's Bentley or anything else, but they write songs and they make a lot of money. Dirk writes his own songs? Uh, no, probably not. But he, yeah, they only but he write does write songs. Yeah, a lot of those guys yeah. have written a few songs or they have songwriters they know that works right. with them. And Bernie Toppin, you know, uh, Elton John didn't write a single song. Bernie Toppin wrote all of them. Did. And he wrote the music for them. Right. And, um, so I was like, you know, I can't write songs and music. I can make, I can make the damn voice in the music box. And so yeah. I actually went to school and became a, a luthier. So I could spend my off season building instruments, guitars, mandolins, violins, whatever. And then during season, I could guide. So I went to school for luthery in Colorado and started making guitars. And, and it also allowed me to stay close to a lot of my friends who are musicians. And 
you know, build them instruments that, you know, kind of, it's no different than a goose call. I mean, you know, those certain calls, it's kind of like you probably have your calls and some of the, you know, the old traffics or this is a butch call or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, they, they do sound different. There's true. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, like Stoney's guitar, some of the guitars I've built for, for other musicians, whatnot, they, uh, I got to work on the, you know, Lucinda Williams, uh, slide guitar and, uh, uh, other, uh, guys, guitars and fiddles and, but creating that sound, I know I was creating their, their tone and their, their voice. Cause mm. I mean, when you hear a lick from Steve Ray Vaughn on, you, before he sings, you know, it's Steve Ray yes. Vaughn. There's no doubt. I mean, you right. can be on the radio and hear dun, 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 dun. Like that's Steve Ray Vaughn right there. <laughs> Cause that's his sound. And so that's where I got into the music side of making guitars and I don't sell them anymore. Uh, for the most part, uh, because it, it's for me, it, it's, it, Hunting, if you really want to ruin your hunting habit, guide. It, because it becomes business. If you want to ruin your music habit, go be a musician. You know, so I had to keep something sacred. So I kept making instruments sacred. Mm-hmm. What's, what, what does a custom guitar make? Cost, I mean, what would Man, it cost? It depends on, on the pearls. You see a lot of my guitars, you know, like this one over here. And I'll grab it real fast. They, uh, I know y'all can't hear me. I'm walking around. <laughs> Eric, he, he is going to get the guitar right now. <laughs> Who is this? Who's this guitar for right now? This was actually mine. Okay. This was actually one of my guitars. So I cut all the things out of, out of pearl. So every single little piece here, y'all can't see it. These are little fishes, and this is a goose here. This is one they go to call the goose guitar. You know that? We've, that's I've seen guitar. this on Facebook. We're looking oh, at the goose guitar in and, person. Uh, every little inch of this thing, all the little diamonds here, there are, there are hundreds of tiny little pieces. So I've got hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours in these things. That's where the charge comes from. Sit and build a guitar or something like that for somebody. It all depends on how much I put in my pearl. And that's where my artistic preference comes from is all the appointments, the tiny little things that most people don't know of. And most of my guitars are waterfowl-based uh, or animal-based, like Stoney's Buffalo guitar or uh, whatnot. But um, that's anywhere from ten to $20,000 for a guitar. And... Uh, so now you're good. You, you would do a guitar cost 20 grand to get you. If you even wanted yeah. to build uh, one me now, my, my guitars, you know, five to 7,000, uh, but for a guitar mine. George Strait, let's say he goes yeah. buy a new guitar. He's going to yeah. go to somebody like you that doesn't yeah. cause. Yeah. So 10 to 20,000 is when, the, when you yeah. see a singer on TV playing, yeah. unless it's a guy that has just made it. Yeah. Cause there's a lot of them guys yes. are probably playing on a $200 hand me down. They, they get there. Yep. yep. But once you get there, you're looking at a 10 to $20,000 for a, yeah, guitar. Yeah, George Strait. George Strait plays a, a custom tailor, um, and George and Bubba do. And uh, you know, what, what people don't know about the guitar world is, like, it's not so much necessarily the artistic; it's the sounding. So when I build a guitar, um, I spend hours and hours and hours and hours tapping it, shaving the ever living as smallest hair off to get it to resonate just right. So when it plays, it just sounds like nothing else. You know. Uh, and, and it's, it's labor. I mean, that's welcome to America. The labor in that, you know, when you look at what, it, how many hours I spend, it's actually pretty darn cheap. Right. Uh, but it, so part of it's education. It's kind of like hiring a goose guy. There's, there's a difference between guys like us and the guy out down the street with a, with a, with a land map. Yep. You know, you're, you're, you're paying for that experience. You're paying for all those days that Andy Shaver got his ace kicked <laughs> learning how to kill geese or Eric Guggenheim learning, you know, you're paying for the times that the scars we got. You know, that success didn't come with those. The same thing in the, in the instrument business. You're paying for uh, the wood. So, so a lot of the woods we use uh, are, are very, very old. Like this piece of wood I'm holding right now, I've had this thing for probably 15 years before I built a guitar. 
uh, just sitting there aging. And before that, who knows how long it's been cut down. And so if you think about the, it's kind of like the oil business. You, you stick a hole in the ground hoping 20 years from now it makes a nickel. <laughs> it takes that, so you kind of have that, that going on. And also just the, the artistic approach. And then true, to me, I caught the blood, sweat, and tears factor. I got a lot of time in this. I got a lot of money in this. You know, before it ever even walks out the door, I, my guitars, I probably have $1,000 worth of uh, wood. Now, you can talk about something that sucks. You got $1,000 in a piece of wood and you cut it wrong. You know, Andy, you're in construction. Yeah. Imagine, yeah. Cut, you know, how many times do you cut a two by four, you know, 16th and a short? You're like, ah, get another one. Yeah. Yeah, it's a little exactly. crooked. In the guitar world, you, you've been holding that thing for years. Stoney's guitar I'm working on right now, I had it three quarters done and it cracked. The humidity got into it. I mean, we were I mean, we were in the the phase of finishing and, and, and putting lacquer on it, and and I called him and said, "Hey, man, look, I, I can fix it, but I can't do that because my name's on this. I can't I can't give you a, a, a fixed yeah. new instrument. Yeah. It cracked the humidity, whatever reason. But I mean, that was a thousand bucks worth of wood, mm-hmm. out, you know, done. And uh, you know the, the thing about instrument wood. Instrument wood is, is it's got to be old, it's got to be dry, and it's got to be quarter sawn. So if you think about a tree, you only get four cuts on a quarter sawn board. Everything else is the sixteenths. Yep. You know, and so it's got to be perfectly ninety degrees or else it'll break. So that's really the difference in guitars. The two hundred dollars, four hundred dollars. You know, is there Japanese, American uh, guys laying concrete from Mexico are a lot cheaper than guys from <laughs> Northeast. <laughs> the, the neck on the guitar. Yeah. Did you do that all? custom too or no, do you I buy those? No, when, when I started when I build a guitar I literally start with it looks like this table if you saw those of y'all who follow me on Instagram or Facebook it literally starts out just like this table blocks of wood and I literally cut like this right here is a, is a uh, mahogany maple uh, and the bloodwood I, I literally take two by four style squeeze it cut it and then I shape it by hand with a rasp so uh, I use a rasp and a, and a chisel and a bandsaw and that's it I don't, I don't use a lot of modern uh, tools. I was taught to do this um, traditionally, and I, and I do. I use rasps, and uh, I, I, what I do is whenever I build guitars for people, I, I get to know them. Uh, mm-hmm. It's like birthing a baby, I guess. But I, I listen <laughs> to them, and I build guitars by their voices. And so all my guitars and my mandolins, and they sound like the guy or gal I'm making's voice uh, and how they play. You know, uh, if you look at Willie Nelson's guitar, I've gotten to, to, to touch trigger, which is like, the holy grail of the world it it it's not a it's a martin but it was a classical guitar that uh, uh, that was modified for willie you know and that's how a lot of custom guitars are you know that's john mayer uh with his or uh paul reed smith or his martin or steve ray vaughn a lot of those different things so i build guitars the same way i, I literally sit and, and i watch a guy uh I talk to them, listen to them, and when I get done hearing them, I know how to build it. It's right. uh, it's not different than geese. I hate to say it. it's a very. It all kind of ties the same. When I make goose calls, it's the same way. Uh, you know, when when I was working on uh, the some calls for R and T, some prototypes, no one had ever seen a micro call. And me and John David Stanley made probably one of the first micro goose calls. That you know, it's it's not much bigger than your finger, because it's about how we call geese with inflection. That we use our voices and we use our hands. And, uh, you know, of course you got to make a, a buck. You can't, you can't custom make every single call or it's right. hard to make a living, but yeah. that's where you had to put the price in. Yep. So you, you've made guitars, uh-huh. you, you do a little bit of everything. I mean, it just trying to make a living. What, what do you do for a hobby? You know, that's, I hate to say this. And for me, and honestly, I didn't have a lot of hobbies. Uh, it's kind of sad to say, uh, because 
the things I enjoyed doing, I, I turned to businesses. And so that's what I was going to ask. Like, it's can, hard. Can you have a hobby without pushing for that extra mile and pushing? Man, I don't for know that if perfection? I can. Uh, it's something I, I struggle with. Is personally, I mean, I'll get straight up with you guys. I struggle with it a lot. It, it's hard because I'm such a driver. I'm not. I'm not happy with a four bird limit. I like. Right. I want to do everything it takes and push it to the nth degree. And the older I get, though, I'm, I'm learning that. You know, I, I was with a guy last night who's highly, highly successful and just made a tremendous amount of money. And we were talking about, you know, he's gone through some pretty tough times uh, personally. You know, financially he's fine. And, and I said, I said, man, what, what, what's enough? You know, because I've struggled with that a lot. It's like, what, what's enough? And he said, you know, Mary, he's like, have you seen a Wall Street too? I was like, yeah. He's like, you remember in that movie they're asking, well, what's your number, man? You know, what's your number? What's your number you need to leave to walk out of this thing? And he's like that one guy who says, just a little more. He said, you know, <laughs> I spent majority of my 20s and 30s trying to make a little more. And he goes, now I'm at this place where I really don't care about that. And that's where I'm at anymore. I, you know, guiding, when I retired from guiding two years ago, which I say that so freaking loose-lipped because I still guide a ton, but <laughs> it's pretty selective on who, I, who I'm with. But, you know, I, I kind of got that in the And that's where photography came from. Even though photography is a part, because I'm a freelance, yes, I've got contracts with, with a lot of groups, but I'm freelance. Right. And what I, what you see, what I get that year, that's what you're going to get. But, you know, I, I struggle a lot with, can I not just go do something and enjoy it? So this, the ranchita, this house is one of them. Immaculate. I, I, thank you. It's a, it's a neat, neat, neat for hunting lawn. It's pretty cool. Yeah. But I, I just said, you know what? I'm not going to make money at this. I'm not going to try to sell it or whatever. If I can't afford it, I'm not going to do it. So what I've started doing is s- s- simple stuff. You know, n- sounds crazy, but trying to look at what I'm doing. And if I put a, a dollar sign in front of it, I don't need to do it. Right. And that's hard to do because, you know, you look at the opportunity. I mean, you guys, you start out God service and then lodge, and then Oklahoma, and then all those. I mean, I mean, hell, I might even shed a tear talking about this. I probably went about seven or eight years without fun hunting. Right. I didn't go on a single damn hunt for fun. And it really bothered me. And it, it John Stevens, had a big part to change that i was in a really dark place in my life and uh john invited me out to the to the house uh gosh this is probably five years ago and uh so I, I went up to stuttgart and and uh i just went and hunted we didn't bring a film crew mm-hmm. we didn't bring uh we didn't bring any anything out there there, there was no camera there we didn't even have blake wasn't filming and we just hunted yeah, that's all we did, mm-hmm. and I and I, of course I brought my cameras and stuff to shoot stuff, but it wasn't a good place to shoot. The light was bad, and John and I we just we just hunted, mm-hmm. and that that night there's actually some pictures on Facebook. That night I sat with him and and we we had a real long personal talk, and you know because he and I both kind of share the same called epidemic, if you will, where he's passionate about making duck calls and collecting calls, but he also runs a call company. When I asked John, I said, man, when was the last time you made a duck call? Because growing up, he was a kid and making calls. Now, he's got John Stevens calls. But when was the last time you made a duck call that you didn't want to sell? That didn't put food on the table? That didn't pay the, the, the mortgage or didn't pay the employees? And that's how I was hunting. I, I, spent, that, I spent that week in Stuttgart just hunting. I, I took some pictures. Uh, one of them is on Max Prey Wing's uh, page right now. But I, I went out there, and it was like it was healing to me mm-hmm. because – I'd literally gotten so wrapped up with hunting that I forgot what it was like to hunt for fun. Right. And 
that's one thing I will caution you. I look at you, Andy. I've known <laughs> I've known Andy now uh, before he had a driver's license and kids and yeah. and and beard. <laughs> I don't think yeah, he, could no doubt. he couldn't even shave. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Ass or face. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know, and and I tell these young guys this. I'm like, don't don't lose it. Cause, I mean, Jeff, you know the people in this industry. They're in the business now. They they don't hunt for fun anymore. No, that's why. Uh, I've never, I've, this is actually an exclusive you're getting here. I've never told anybody this, but this is one of the reasons that I don't like doing turkey hunts because yeah. it's one of the things that I truly, truly enjoy. And when you commercialize it, and number one, turkey hunting's not easy. No, no. And, you know, we had a, we had a phenomenal turkey season. Uh, all the clients got birds. Um, but that, it's a lot of pressure. Oh, and man. it's something that I that I do not like. I hate taking clients out. Yeah. Because it's kind of one of the last things that I have yeah. that I can go out and kind of enjoy myself and get lost in. And, That's right. and it's, it's easy to lose yourself and it's easy to, uh, you know, kind of the grind gets you and everything else kind of like you're talking about, but it's easy to lose that passion. And, but especially in this business, you know, whether it's music or it's, 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 it's hunting, you know, and I'm glad you you said that because I used to go turkey hunts and I quit going tur- and I love turkey hunting. I almost love turkey hunting love and goose hunting. I mean, I'm, I'm right there with you. It's, it's a it's a close it. it's a close one. Mostly probably because we're coming out of the permafrost and we, right, we, yeah. we feel and our junk nice for the first and, time in yeah. about two months. Yeah. But the birds, the sounds, the turkeys. But for me, I got turkey hunts. I was like, I gotta keep, I gotta keep something special here. Right. And and that's what it was because and and now bass. You know, I've always been a big fisherman. I quit going fishing trips, so now I fish for fun. Mm-hmm. But and, and play music. And so I've started kind of going back to things that I did for fun before, went professional and then came back to mm-hmm. just because I, I, I like it, you yep. know. Uh, and I, I asked Stoney LaRue this the other day. Uh, we were on the tour bus and we were just playing music and stuff. And I said, and it's just me and him. And I said, man, when was the last time you, when was the last time you just two dudes hung out and played guitar? Because, I mean, we've all been playing. Mean, I started playing professionally back in the 90s red dirt music there wasn't even red dirt back then i think it was like pre-creation so what is the difference jeff doesn't understand that what's the difference between red dirt and regular country okay this is actually pretty simple we like ZZ top and rock music okay. and we like george Strait. was george state country is he red he's dirt? Co- oh no he's country okay yeah, he's country he's still guitar but is Luke Bryan country don't, I mean, I've, I'm well, played, no, but I'm I mean, that's a fifth. good question. He's going to be on the CMAs, he, he which I don't watch fifth. because I think it's all sellouts. It's straight up sellouts. Okay, but Florida Georgia Line. <laughs> you're, killing ah. me, you're killing me, Smalls. <laughs> Kenny, Kenny Chesney. Okay, I'll, I'll give you Kenny, though. I'll give you, I, I will tell you Kenny. So Kenny's, Kenny Country? Kenny's Country. So, Jimmy Buffett. Jimmy Buffett is just awesome. I don't Jimmy's know what he is. He's just, he's just Jimmy. Jimmy. He's just Jimmy. Jimmy. <laughs> Kenny Chesney's the new Jimmy Buffett, I think. I'll give you that. That's yeah. the closest we're yeah, going to have is. to another Jimmy Buffett. That's right. No. So Kenny Chesney, uh, again, Dean Dillon helped Kenny write it. You know, in the documentary for all you guys want to watch Tennessee Whiskey, uh, uh, we had Kenny up on there. And, you know, Kenny, there's a great story about Kenny. I'll tell you all sometime. But, uh, you know, Kenny was a, was a country artist but he's a musician entertainer more than a songwriter. And so Dean mm-hmm. Dillon helped him write some of his first uh, big hits. He is a songwriter, no doubt. But he, he's country. But, man, I, I, can feel, I can feel my blood freezing right now. He's <laughs> Eastern country. I go for that. Florida Georgia Line? No, but I'm just asking you. But he's Eastern country okay. versus us. We're, we're George Strait, Chris Ledoux. You know, right. barbed wire fences, cattle, mm-hmm. you know, 
Garth Brooks. Garth Brooks country. I mean, you know. See, I'm a big, I'm a big George Strait fan. Yeah. But I, I have, I will not. If Garth Brooks comes on radio, I turn it off. Really? Yes, because I watched him on Oprah Winfrey about 20 years ago. I know where pajamas, this is going. And yes. I lost all credit I, I know for him at all. And he's a left wing liberal, and yeah. I have no use for him at all. Yeah, I hear that. Not but but I used to love Garth Brooks. But his songs, I mean, his songs yeah. we relate to. I mean, yeah. hell, like tonight, we got thunderstorms, lightning, and rain. By the way, Weather Channel, kiss my little ass at 10%. It's still raining, y'all. We've been recording we've been, for two hours, so, and we were here for 30 minutes before that yeah. shooting shit when it started so, raining. So, uh, see, I still don't know the difference between a red dirt. Is okay. Chris Stapleton country or red dirt? Country. Well, hold on. Chris, Stapleton, Chris Stapleton's country all the way, but he's more bluegrass because his original band, one of them was Steel Drivers. Steel Drivers. And uh, Chris, what makes Chris unique, Chris is a songwriter, man. Right. You, can, you can take Chris's, Chris's stuff and, and play rock over it. Or you, I mean, look at that. Justin Timberlake mm. is not. Hold on. Justin Timberlake actually is country. I will tell you this. There's, there, there's some inside work <laughs> on this. They, Justin Timberlake is from Nashville, born you know, proper, and he actually can do country solid. It's kind of John Mayer. I like uh, to say something. It was a good. I liked it. It was a solid. Yeah, no, it was a solid. But he's got it, private jets and houses and everything else. So I mean, yeah. hey, look, I ain't, I ain't, I ain't mad at you. <laughs> well, well, Chris Stapleton's music you can feel in your bones. Fat. Very, 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 very poignant. Te- Turnpike turn turn doors. Red dirt. Red, Red dirt. Red dirt. Yeah. Okay. Red, so the, but I still don't understand. The biggest is there thing, a tone? What is Jeff missing? Is there a tone? So the, the biggest thing about or? Red Dirt, if you want to say Red Dirt, it's Red Dirt is is. One step away from the blues. If you're getting a weather app uh, warning right now, me. I will I will punch you because I can't seem to get the <laughs> thing to work. I think your work. oven went off. Oh, hey, uh, biscuits ready. But, uh, oh, power's off. So the, here's the deal. Blues, the blues music was kind of uh, done by a guy named Robert Johnson early on. And there's a real cool movie with Ralph Macchio. Most of you people never know who he was. He's the Karate Kid. <laughs> and Ralph Macchio uh, did this movie uh, called The Crossroads, which is kind of based on a true story of Robert Johnson. And there's a line that says, the blues ain't nothing but a good man feeling bad. And that's really yeah. what, what yeah. the blues came from. It was a guy who sat there and wrote some songs about, you know, whatever's going bad. Well, Red Dirt's kind of the same. Red Dirt, when you listen to Red Dirt songs, this stuff we're going to relate to. You know, when you listen to Pat Green... Uh, sing, uh, I sing songs about Texas I sing them often every time Every one of those lyrics We relate to in our area mm-hmm. Yep. When you go up north they, they know what we do That's what's so cool about Texas And even Oklahoma-ish <laughs> is, <laughs> We can stick to Texas We can stick to Texas, I, thank you Is, you know, when people Everybody knows Texas Everybody knows Right uh, they have an idea of cowboy mystique, mm-hmm. four six ranch, cows, you know, and so these guys are writing songs that we relate to. Southbound thirty five, I mean, again, I think Pat was kind of one of the pioneers, and I've known Pat my whole life, and for the most part, and just phenomenal songwriter. But he wrote songs that we relate to in West Texas. Mm-hmm. It's a two day old burrito on a lukewarm <laughs> beer to go on roadside park. You know, I mean, how, I mean you were at Texas Tech. Yep. You don't just go somewhere. You no. got to make a road trip, and yeah. you go to all subs burrito. You gotta, so you that's red dirt music. Red dirt music is taking that kind of background of stuff that people relate to, and putting it into something that we all know. My last one, I'm gonna ask. Yeah, you yeah, about, yeah. And I know he's gonna be say red dirt. Yeah. But Josh Abbott. Okay. And and, and she's Texas, or she's like Texas, yeah. which is my favorite song. Is by the way, yeah, that's a good song. That's not that's a red dirt song. That could be a country song. It's a, you know, it's not. But but what? It, but like I said before. 
she's like blue bonnets in the summer. Right. She's like cotton in the fall. South Padre Island. Lubbock South Padre Wind. Island. Lubbock Wind. You know, you know, she's I mean, it's all about morning Texas. sky. But you, but you, Jeff Stanfield, can relate to every verse in that song. Yes, mm-hmm. I know it. And every so you know it. it. So that's where it's red right. dirt is because you can say, you know what, I, I, know the, the, I know what it looks like to have the winds out in Lubbock. Uh-huh. And I've been out to Nacogdoches and seen it green. So for us, but, so that's what makes Josh Abbott different, is we relate to it firsthand. Country, though, is going to relate to it as a, as a thought process of what country is. Because that's, that's really what country music is. It's an ideology of an older time. And well, that's where it's kind of changing. He did another song with uh, Pat Green, didn't he? Uh, it was another Texas song. Uh, that is it. That's my Texas. Fuck, I'm gonna get. Yeah, that's my Texas. That's my Texas, my Texas home. Yeah, yeah. Like fireworks over PK. If you never seen fireworks over PK, I spent four days and nights out in Austin. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and uh, you know I buried my papa uh, in Texarkana, and that's why I love my Texas home. Fireworks so, over PK. Boy, that's something we everybody can relate to if you're a Texan. Fact, if in Possum Kingdom, and that's what's so cool about our state is that Google, Facebook, whatever. Now people are actually getting to see what it looks like to have. I mean, for God's sake, Red Bull does the cliff dive at mm-hmm. yep. PK. I drove out the damn lake today. <laughs> it's, I mean, we 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 love it, right. but it's it's like our our local lake. But they're writing songs about it, and that's what I think is the difference. Because you listen to George Strait songs, it's more of a it's more of a heartfelt, you know, Marina Del Rey. You know, those songs that we all know, Blame It on Mexico, mm-hmm. there's actually nothing that anybody can relate to first person, so it makes it country. It's, mm-hmm. But Red Dirt, you know, um, it was Friday. I'm getting tore up going down the river the back of Fred's truck. <laughs> right. You know, yeah. Breakdown, I'm standing in the room. Yeah. You, you know that. You've been to the river. Yeah. <laughs> you know, in high school, you went down the river, yep, right. you know, drinking cheap beer and back of Fred's truck. And so that's the difference, I think, if you had to define it, is Red Dirt is something that you can relate but to. But Kenny first Chesney also hits that in all his songs. He does. You know, and that's why I think, and that's where I think Kenny's a bridge gap between, mm-hmm. like you said, Jimmy Buffett and country, is Kenny Chesney, he's further enough south because, you know, for y'all, y'all who don't know, who are listening at this over the inter, interwebs, what, football in Texas is, I mean, it, it, it's like hunting season here. And we all, whether I didn't play football, but we all know what it's like to stand on the 50-yard line right. last senior yep. year, take that last knee. Mm-hmm. We all know what it's like to turn around and the coach and say, man, you know, if, and I actually kind of think, like, you think the song Five More Minutes, you know. Uh, I, I, Scott. Yeah, Mc- Scotty McCreary. Yeah. It's, we can relate to that. We can, that's a that's, tough song. That's, that's a, a tough song, That's a way. tough song to, hear, song to listen to. <laughs> and, and that's where I think it's so unique about country versus the pop country. Pop country is Feel hurts. Good. <laughs> yeah. But you can't relate to it. It's just a good sound of song. Right. It's got yeah. some fiddles and guitars to it, and that's I, about it. I'm getting old now, so I don't, I don't listen to any no, new I mean, music. Me neither. I, if I listen to XM, I listen to Margaritaville. And POTUS. No, I don't. I don't. I don't listen. I get sick. You know what? I don't listen to politics. It's either sports radio. Yeah, yeah. I listen to our podcast usually after it's over. I listen to it once each one one time on my truck. Usually, I listen to. Now this is embarrassing because I can't stand him, but I like Garth's channel on XM because he plays such a wide range of music. Garth's channel's good because he doesn't play just Garth music. It's country, lots of stuff, and even Michael Jackson the other day. Yes, I mean he plays music that I can relate to from being because we're about the same age. Yeah, yeah. So that kind 30, of deal. 31. Yeah, 31. <laughs> and, and, that, and you're, you're absolutely right about that. And, I, and that's where, you know, 
reasons we're on the music thing. I mean, music in in this day and genre, music is a big part of our life. I mean, yeah. especially me guiding. We all got our get pumped, get ready song. Andy, do yeah. you have a song you listen to when you get? It's, it's usually Adele. I okay. mean, something of that's Adele. That's embarrassing, right there. I know it is. I, I listen to Adele when I'm killing it. When I need to kill geese. Y'all can watch on Facebook, Instagram. I turn on Adele, and I have worn them out. I'm waiting to get sued by them sometime. <laughs> Actually, uh, it's funny that you mentioned this. I've got a uh, when when I really got to dig deep. There's a Shania Twain CD. Oh yeah, my god, that's right. Come on over, oh and my I'll, gosh, yeah. I'll plug that in, yeah, and yeah, yeah. just all the songs on there are gold. Um, what's funny is when I was first learning how to do this, we had a bunch of guides, and when I first found my passion for this was 1998. Mm-hmm. And that was the CD out. And every one of the guys, Johnny Reichert, uh, you know. <laughs> Johnny boy. He's the guy that, that I kind of followed, and that's what he would listen to going to the field every day. Uh-huh. So back when you could still buy CDs, I bought the Shania Twain Come On Over CD. That's right. And yeah. if I got to dig deep, that's what's going in the – I don't even know if, if my new truck has a CD player <laughs> I don't think it does. I don't think it does. I don't think mine does either. Yeah, yeah I don't think either. But, but the old 08 Dodge, that, that's my hunting wagon. It's got a CD player. My, my kids, uh-huh. I don't think – and Andy probably appreciate more. They don't realize how lucky they were to grow up in the environment they did, I don't think. Oh, I don't yeah. think most people even listening to this have any idea no. – what the the magnitude of how many people that we run through our business and how many different people i mean it's Thousands. it's not just a small i think everybody thinks a guide service they think of that guy that meets at all subs and takes some people hunting. Right. I mean, and they, they don't realize what my my kids and my life has been in the hunting business we're you know we're in the tens of thousands if you think about how many hundred days you yes. and i have we're in the we're in the tens of thousands not one thousand mm-hmm. you know that's like when people look at stats i've you know i've been pounded on facebook stuff, twenty thousand geese yeah, that was 20,000 geese was years ago. Yeah. Right. I mean, we run, I mean, we have, we're blessed with an area that's high volume, but we run, we were, to shoot in a group of 100,000 birds with four guys is stupid. Yeah. Number one, yeah. we have to set up big spreads. Number two, we got the birds, but yeah, you're right, your kids, it's like, I talk about my girls all the time. I'm like, they, my, my, my girls don't understand that tornadoes don't, of birds don't magically appear, but they don't know any different either. Yeah, but, but the lifestyle they're the doing, lifestyle. they're so fortunate. Very fortunate. And that's, and, and I don't, you know, I don't, I always wonder, it's like, is there going to be the next Eric Guggenheim and Jeff Stanfield? Because, you know, we were, we were so virgin in this. I mean, there was, God services and pioneers didn't exist. Was the pioneers. F- we, we, were, we were pioneers in this. I, mean, I figured up the other day, we've ran somewhere between 75 and 85,000 people through yeah. the Big Honker Lodge since I've been in business. And, you know, it, it, it's, it's hard to fathom those numbers. And, and and think how many, number one, how many thousands of birds have we cleaned? Yes. Yeah. Screw yep. that business. <laughs> you know, but how many, how many shell, I was thinking about this the other day, how many, how many shell wads have we put in fields? Yep. Right. It's got to be in the millions. You know, somebody was like, yeah. million shells. Dude, I'm telling you, I don't, I'm, I'm shooting low. <laughs> <laughs> I bet South Bed has got three inches of plastic in it Fact. somewhere. <laughs> it, when it rains, it floods, not yep. because it's got bitten out in the yeah. bottom. That's plastic <laughs> shell holes. It's lined. Flying. It's lined now. And, and the, you, you walk over the metal detector across the South Bed, it starts ringing. Yeah. But uh, we, we are pioneers in this field. Yeah. I mean, Larry Gore. When I, when, when I was yeah. a kid growing up, yeah. and, I, and I loved waterfowl hunting, I mean, it was a passion from my dad, taught me, or got me excited about it, and we started out duck hunting. Yeah. But when I, used to, when I used to watch TV, or the magazine we would get, is we would get Ducks Unlimited magazine every other month. And I looked, and, and I looked forward to it, and I looked at the pictures, but when I'd look in the ads in the back, it was, yeah. it was Larry Gore 
and it was a guy up in the panhandle. Panhandle's best. Panhandle's best. best. And, yeah, and I used to look at that, and, and I used to always think, God Almighty, that'd be so cool to be a guide one day and to do something like that. Me and too. then when we got into the hunting business, well, you know what? People thought I was crazy. Oh, yeah. Because nobody else did it hardly. No. Well, shit, now, ever, oh. ever Tom, Dick, and Harry that owns a spread in a trailer is a guide for a day or two. Half a spread. Yes. No, <laughs> I mean, I remember, you know, people don't, and also people don't, you, know, people, you look at Habitat Flats, and, you know, Tony's a great guy, and Ira, and all those guys, but they're not, they're, they're not running a thousand guns. <clears throat> and, you know, you, you, you put our dove season on top of there. Yes. We're running multi-thousand guns every season, and they don't, you know, people don't realize how big of a guide service we run. Not that it's any kind of like special, like, oh, pat our bat. It's more of the amount of work it goes to do that is insane. Right. And that's what people don't realize. It is not easy because the machine, the, you have the same problem we have. The train's already in motion. You don't get to slow it down. You have to have this many hunters. We have the expense, like Big Honker Lodge. Last time I checked, it wasn't free. Nope. And so you got to keep the power on. You know, Number one hardest thing in, in the outfitting business for all you listening, if you ever want to solve the outfitting business good, someone who cooks breakfast consistently. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. That's one of the hard, I mean, that's forget we, killing like, birds. That's why we've got Tony. That's right. Tony. And it's true. But, that's, but yeah. you're right. You've got a family member who, who's invested in the business, but trying to find someone who's going to come in at right. 2.30 in the morning every day or 3 to have breakfast ready by 4.35, then cook lunch, then cook dinner for 25, 30, 40 guys. Mm-hmm. I mean, during those days, we might have 100 people out here. We've got to do something with at whatever level it is. And I don't know that anybody's going to be able to do that anymore. I mean, I look at Hooray and these groups. I mean, they've got, they've got 10, 12, 15 beds or whatever it is. But, and, and, and again, granted, they're, they're phenomenal facilities and they're big and they're nice, but they're not running the volumes that we run. No, that, I, I've noticed that. I, I noticed today I saw an ad for, uh, Habitat and it was eight thousand mm-hmm. dollars for mm-hmm. a five day hunt. Well, yep. they're, they're they're hitting a different type person. Sure. Than me. I would love to get eight thousand sure. dollars, but I'm I'm thinking eight thousand dollars at fifteen hundred goose hunters. Yes, is what I'm thinking. Me too. You know, I'm not thinking of eight thousand. <laughs> yeah, me too. You know, of fifteen hundred people at three hundred or four hundred dollars. Yes, but that's what the, the today's in the hoorah or whatever it is. The, yeah, the hoorays. Hoorays. That's the new trend now. Is it these, is. These little micro lodges where they, they, they cater to 10 or 15 people and yes. they charge a whole lot of money. Well, with the regular guy and the regular company that's trying to do something, yes. they're still looking for that medium priced hunt. That's right. And we can't, you know, the, our problem, your problem is the same problem I got. We have, I mean, how often do you take new people? Not very often. It's usually somebody who knows something. Yeah, a new guy is because he knew somebody, but I mean, how do you turn down? You know, we're booked up this year and part of next year, for especially dove hunting, is you know all these folks and they want to come hunting. It's the same regular people every year. It's in, yeah. in, you know, you can't tell some of the groups, you know, they're good folks and they're willing to pay the money and everything else and come hunt. No. And it's like, and we've raised our prices, you've raised your prices, no one cares because it's an experience that we bring. But, you know, I could never turn into a Habitat Flats or stuff because I've got too many folks that I know want to go hunt. And I want to hunt with them. I want to take them hunting. But they're not going to pay $8,000. They're not going to pay $8,000. But at the same time, they're willing to pay $8,000 for their 10 guys. And, you know, you got, you know, we've got a lot of those kind of folks yeah. as you do and we do. And it's uh, and at the same time, though, I don't want to run a group. I mean, for me, I don't want to run a group of five guys, three guys. That's not right. what I'm interested in. I'm in I mean, I want, I want blood, sweat, and buttholes <laughs> dead in the field with a pile of a hundred geese yeah and because we can do it because it takes just as as, as any you know and jeff you know it takes just as many uh decoys to kill four man limit as it does a sure. 12 man limit 
Hey, I've had 20, you know, we've had, we, just like you, we do big corporate groups. I love having 18 guys. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like the Mexican, you know, revolution <laughs> out in the field. And you want to talk about how, to, you know, where's your talent? How to 18 dudes in a peanut field where yeah. the highest thing is an inch and a quarter off the ground. Flat you're going to find out where your skill set is. And, and, yeah. and, you know, the guides <clears throat> that, I, that I've had work for me uh -huh. that have went to these high-dollar places yes. end up coming back Always. because they don't make any money at those places no. because the tips are not very good. And you know what? That's one thing that you know. I know you do. We do. I, I, guide services who who pull tips. I'm about that. I'm about that. Because yeah. I look at my debonair personality and charm, and everything else. I look at Derek McDaniel's. <laughs> <laughs> Derek's a way better hunter than me. No, I was kidding. But you know, it's it's true. I, you know, the one thing about like Stanfield and stuff is our guides. They make they make good money. There's yes. no there's no maybes. I mean, a lot of people look at these guys as bums, which they are, but that's only because they are employees. We can call them that. They they make a good wage. They make and they make they make what most people make uh, working, you know, three sixty five, but they earn it because we let them earn it. You know, we book the right kind of clients. I mean, we're straight up. I'll tell you right now, we got clients who don't tip. Bye, Felicia. You're gone. Yeah. I don't. I mean, my guides are more important to this guide service and, and Justin and you than the clients because. I can get more clients. I can't get good goose killers. No, good goose got you. I got one story I'm going to touch yeah. on because I know we've been going a long oh, time. Oh, yeah. We're having fun. Uh, tell me the story about the midget and the turtle. Oh, man. With Justin? Yeah. It says tell him if he talks about the midget and turtle, he's fired. So that's got to be a good story. Yeah. I mean, he told me not <laughs> to. to. If you did, you're which fired. One, which one is that one? It's so good you can't even remember it. Yeah, I try. Well, because with, with Justin and midget Midget's stories, got to be Justin. No, that's Justin and turtle. Man, I can't remember. He needs to. I need him to text me, tell me which one it's about. Let me see what's on my phone. Justin Hill is our friend. He, him and Googie, they got a J Ranger Creek Goose. And J Justin brought peace to the area. Before yeah, Just Justin, it was, it was fucking fist fights in the, in the turn rows. And, and then Justin came and mellowed, up, mellowed the area out. No, which is kind of funny because that's what's so funny about you being here. Because, you know, back in those days, we were all young, hard peckers trying to – pound the ground with who's badass whatnot hell jeff and i if, if you guys research the internet long enough hard enough jeff and i used to go at it and you know the good thing about Smokey is he is he drank enough for next day he forgot that's right <laughs> that's exactly right but that but if you got me that afternoon he hated your guts yeah. tomorrow it was like he was smoky rather good to meet you he, he I was for you. he was scary because he was, he was so unstable Unbelievable. I mean, he's the kind of guy that yes. I'm not worried about somebody whooping my ass with a no. fist because if I get my ass whooped, I'll get my ass Life whooped. Is. But I don't want to get shot. No, that guy, you know, truly, folks, listen to the show. We were in the Wild West 15 years ago. I mean, it was straight up gun carrying. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we've all, we've all, we've all had a gun pointed at us by Smokey <laughs> or JC. <laughs> it, it, the turn rows were quite a lot of arguments. Oh, my God. Deals. We, you know, so what, for folks that don't know up here, we, we we day lease a lot of our stuff, but it's not. It's season lease to two people. Yeah. <laughs> it's like right. it's exclusive to all of y'all. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so back in the days when, when, when Jeff and I were, 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 were your young Thundercats, you, we, we'd all sit at the, at the four-way, you know, kind of like chest pounding, pecker pounding, you know, whatever it might have been. And as soon as those birds came off the Winchester – it was, I mean, let it rip. Yeah. I mean, buy as fast as you could, cut each other off. I mean, straight up, you know, it's, yeah. a, it's actually a miracle number that got killed. In a it it really is. It truly is. I mean, people laugh. Justin hates it because he still wants to do 80. I'm like, Justin, I've already talked to Jeff. He's, he's going to hunt the McGuire. We're going to hunt this. We already know where we're going. Why are you 
going so damn fast. <laughs> <laughs> we gotta get there first. It, it ain't me. He's worried about beating no, them it's no not. more. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think. But him, it's his, it's his multiple personality. Or I don't know. He, he doesn't. He doesn't have his low gear. He need. He that we're gonna pick him up dead on the field one of these days. He's gonna he's gonna heart pop. He, he's gonna have an early heart attack if he don't. Fat. He's very stressful. He's it's very a good stressful. thing he's not fat. Uh, very true. <laughs> and and he's not tall. So I mean. <laughs> If it wasn't for Pedialyte in his formula, you know, <laughs> I mean, you know that's the that's the truth there. But you know, we used to we used to go out there and and chase these fields and go nuts. But yeah, that Smokey was a he was a that guy was something. I, wonder, I always wonder where that where that guy is if he's not dead. I wonder if he's alive. I think still. he's still alive. I think he is. is. I think he probably listened to this and come down here and slaughter us all. Come on, whip my ass. I've ne- I never. I, you know, he worked for us. Yeah, yeah. And that was a long month and a half. Oh my god. He worked for he worked for Roy Dawn first. I, I told Mary, Mary Carolyn and I said, where else in the world do you go where you go where the sheriff who just tased the guy who owns the bar invites everybody up to the bar to watch him tase the guy who's an outfitter? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, here. It was, it, it was a bad deal. But he was. He would, he'd come to work for us, and, mm-hmm. it, and I liked him. And, and you know what's bad? When he's sober, he's a nice guy. He is. But, but he's one of the people when he drinks a little bit, he's, he's bad news. It's scary. And, and that's the – and that's that's the other bad thing about this business is I watch these kids, you know, with Adderall and everything else. I mean, their 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 light will burn out. Yes, <laughs> yeah, I promise you. Yes, you, yeah. This is hard living. You know, I, I'm not going to straight up say that I don't enjoy a whiskey drink because I've heard a few corks tonight. But <laughs> they, this business, I'm worried about it. I, I I am a little worried about it. It's not growing. I mean, no, it, it's no. not growing. It, it's shrinking. Our business might be growing because. Guys realizing that they can spend twenty thousand dollars in decoys, or call Jeff Stanfield for you know the next twenty five years, and still still not break even for what they were going to spend themselves. So, right. but the the people getting in this business, I am worried about because it's it's just this, I call it rockstar men, or rockstar wannabe mentality. You know, it, there's so much more to this business than just shooting birds. God, I wish it was just shooting birds. Yeah, and that'd be simple. You know, just like today, I know I know a guy today or two days ago, got feds came in on his house two days ago, and uh, from a two year old something happened two years ago, mm. and from an outfitter. You know, he he wasn't. Uh, you know who you are. <laughs> and, uh, he didn't do anything wrong. He was an outfitter, but the outfitter you know, like a lot of these young guys doesn't know the ins and outs of the business and got absolutely a lot of his customers in a lot of trouble, a lot of trouble. Yeesh. And that's going to continue to happen. And yeah. Facebook being the, that's where they found him. Yeah. You know, when I first done this, well, we'll, we'll go 10 years into the business. By 10 years, I pretty much knew what I was doing with handling my guys. Yeah. I sure made yeah. some mistakes, but I still, right. by that time, I, I was yeah. in control of everything. Probably five years in, but the first couple of years was kind of like a while. I didn't really know. I was hell, I was a young kid, too, and I got young kids working. Yeah. And, I had, I, and I got where I started having some seasoned guides work for mm-hmm. me. And with those seasoned guides, I would bring in these young kids as apprentices. Yes. Well, nowadays, all these kids that are apprentices get out of high school. And they start yes. guiding on their own, or they're, they're or they're running their own show. Yes, and 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 and, and they're not all that way because there's some pretty good. But most of those kids need a couple of years to guide somewhere, Fact. learn how to treat people and talk people, and not being an adult. Because when you're 19 years old. A guy doesn't want to sit down with you while you drink a half a bottle of Jim Beam with him. Oh, fact. They, 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 they don't. They don't. They, no. They, you're, there's some older guys sitting around drinking. They don't want a, a loudmouth kid, you know, trying to join. That, that's just. And it's, it causes me some, some of the big. We have a rule at Ranger Creek where we don't allow a lot of our, a lot of drinking with the clients because of that reason. I, don't, I mean, 
I'm going to make some decisions that I feel are best for everyone's interest. It's not my client's decision prior to us getting the field why I made that decision right. that I made. And, and it's not my guy's decision either because I want repeat clients. I don't know if my guy, that guy's going to be with me next year or not, but I'm going to make the best decision I feel for that day for that client. And that client may not like it tonight. Tomorrow, he's going to love it if he shoots a bunch of birds. But we might go back to the same field. They're piled up in there. We might do all this stuff. But what I have found over the past 20 years doing this is in, when you get in the whiskey, and, well, we hunted that field seven times this week. Yeah, that's right. a shit to yeah. kill you. And truth is, they're in the same – they're all yep. in the yeah. field. We're going to hunt gonna the eighth time, tomorrow, and we're going to burn them tomorrow. It's going to be number eight. It's going to be number eight, and we're going to shoot a lot of birds. I mean, there's probably still blood on the ground from where we hunted today. I, I don't think people off way off <sighs> understand these peanut fields. No. But 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 you have a hot peanut field. Yeah. And until them birds eat them peanuts out of there, they Every go that same field. Every single day. And I, we've, I bet we've hunted the Big Bevel years i bet i bet we've went three 21 22 23 days straight in the same field and, and, and shooting it. a limit every morning by eight o'clock and being done and getting out of there and the birds could fall right back in there and so that night they go back in there we big bevel mcguire i mean yes all them justin mcguire 27 days in a row and shot hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of geese because peanuts are different than marshes yep. you know and and but yet i don't need you know these young guys who want to go party at the lodge you know the way i look at the way i the way I like to sum it up is these guys are here on their Disney vacation with ammo. Mm-hmm. Yep. How many times did Mickey Mouse come to your hotel room and say, hey, <laughs> let's drink some vodka. <laughs> no, we don't you let know? our guys go to the no. social room. They don't do it. They don't need to. And we, we have dinner and we eat separate. We eat at a, we have a, we have a family table that we That's sit right. at. Yep. We sit down, we eat yep. at it and we'll go out and the guys will go out and go over everything with the customers. And yep. now we've got so many repeat customers. They yes. come back and visit sure. and stuff. But, and, but the social room, you, they go to, plus a guy that works all the time. Yes. He's ready to go to bed at I, eight eight thirty. D- tops, you know. Literally, I mean, I've gotten, I've gotten bitter with my age, <laughs> and and, and, I, and I got, you know, I'm not I'm talking, preaching the choir over here, Andy. You'll you're, you'll get there. Yeah. Is I got I get to the point where I I just need some time, me time, <laughs> and I mean that loosely. <laughs> <laughs> but you, it's like I just need to, I need to sit down and watch. I, I need to see the regular world because when you get gunning hard, I I need to see some news. I need to see some TV. I need to eat a mm-hmm. dinner. And I don't want to see anybody who's got camo on or, or anything else because I'm not being a very good guide by getting decharged, by going to the lodge, telling the same story about some dog. Or we went to take a piss and the birds came. I've heard it, man. I'm, yeah. I'm just telling you, you need me on my A game. And, you know, we need to look at a lot of – a lot of professional musicians, Stoney's, Stoney's real big about this, and, and, and some other guys, even John Mayer and, and some other guys I know are real good. And they, when the show's over, you go meet your clients, but then they go, they don't go hang out and party and drink cocaine and do, or drink right. booze or anything else. They, they go and sit in their hotel room and watch TV. They, right. because you got, and guiding is, I mean, guiding is the closest thing there is to being a professional musician. I've been both of them. We get on stage every morning with a group of people who are, begging us to give them a show and they're mm-hmm. paying premium dollar for a show i mean you look at the possum uh, george uh, jones people used to boom off stage you come out drunk and wouldn't <laughs> play and have show up and they're booming off stage and everything else because they paid good money to see george jones sing yep. well goose hunting is no different than than musicians they come here to shoot a limit and we've got to make it happen and look i'm not going to say that i've never been hung over in a field i mean that's let's get honest but the older i get i was like you know what these there's a point in time where I had to realize that 
I need my time to collect myself and guide services that, that want to go to the lodge and get drunk and everything else. Those aren't, those aren't guide services. They don't last very long. They either. don't last very long because they're not, they don't care about their customers. No. I mean, you show me a guide who wants to sit there and drink a bunch of vodka and feel like hell in the morning and drink Red Bulls and Adderall. That's not a guide. That's a party kid. Mm-hmm. And we don't need that. And, and the disconnect. See, I never had to live at the lodge. So I always yeah. still went home. Yeah. Well, I'd go home okay. and I had a whole different, you know, what, 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 what we had, what, how'd school go? We had homework. I mean, I raised my family at a lodge basically, yeah. but I mean, I had a That's home right. too, but I mean, we had lodge and then we'd go from the lodge and That's sometimes right. I'd go home at eight o'clock at night. Sometimes I'd have paperwork to catch up on cause I was so That's busy. Right. It was 11 o'clock before I'd get home, but I went home to a house yes. that was, it was a lot different. So I got that away where my guides that lived at the lodge, yes. they went to their lodge, their, their guide their, quarters and they blowed calls and tune up and see i live that life in oklahoma now yes. because the guides all living right with me and That's god right. almighty they blowing the calls and shit i'm like oh, by the way fuck. that right there will get your asking i am so tired of hearing calls blown you mean go to your truck jerk yourself <laughs> off with your call but do not do it around me it wears me out and i hear it all the time out. and then they start to, oh, then they play with each other go ahead and bitch at me for the microphone you ain't done that yet I hit it. You've been very good no. today. But they, they want to call each other. Yeah, and, and but Andy and then we'll start oh let we hear you blow this one. I'm like, son of a bitch. I swear to God, you blow that home more time, you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna shit a double cluck. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's and that's where and, and but you know at the same time I actually I like it. I don't want to hear it. I, I want I want our guides to get into being a guide. Like I want them to have that because when I grew up guiding that's all I wanted to do. And it's all, it's all I could ever think about doing is guiding. But you've got to learn to be a guide. What's a guide? A guide, we are directors of making things happen fun with guns. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I want them to, to blow calls. I want them to build that camaraderie. I mean, if it wasn't for that camaraderie, this business wouldn't exist. Right. And, I mean, guides work for guides who work for other guide services. Oh, hey, look, Jeff actually pays his bills on time. Eric lets you keep your tips. <laughs> Not saying that didn't happen to their guide service, but it, it actually does. doesn't. <laughs> I know some people. You know some people. Yeah. Probably the same guy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and so they, uh, and I want them to, ha- and I want these young guys to have that experience. But, you know, I think working for you, working for us, is you, you're going to learn to be a professional guide. You're not going to learn to be a killer. I don't need you to be a killer. I need you to be a professional. Or you're going to get run off. Or you're going to get run off. Because I need, because if you learn to be a professional, you'll become a killer like you never thought you are going to be. And I think that's, where a lot of these young guys who don't have the mentor you're talking about, you know, if you really want to be a guide, go find a guide service that's big, established, go sweep the floors. I mean, I've done it. I've swept the floors, mopped, whatever it took. When I, when I went and started with Orvis, if they wanted me to, if they wanted me to fold towels, I'd have folded towels to get to work with those guys. And you know, these are legends in the industry. I didn't care what it took. And that's one thing that maybe I'm about to go to my age again. Maybe that's a millennial deal, but, I wanted it so bad. I was willing to work three jobs, clean the floors at the lodge just to get to hunt with that guy that was in that magazine mm-hmm. and learn something from them. Like, I wanted it bad. And I don't think kids nowadays, they don't want it bad. They just go do it. I'm just going to go, I'm going to go find some land. I'm going to call it five people and throw some videos on Facebook. But they don't know why they do it. Right. They know how to do it. I'm not saying they don't kill birds, but they don't know why they do it. And I think that's getting lost. I think kids aren't they want it they want they want the bands so fast that that so for whatever reason that lanyard full of bands makes their peckers bigger than everybody <laughs> else but it's like you know do you know why you shot those or do yeah. you know or did you shoot them or did you know why you shot them yeah, that's and, a good very good point 
You're and that doesn't man. happen very often. Okay. Deep man. I'm going I'm to cut this down. We've been That's way right. over two hours. <laughs> That's right. We, we, we are a waterfowl podcast, and we've been fortunate to have, to, to have two Probably the greatest photographers in Texas on here in yes. the last in the Thank last you. month, Thank and you. that's and and Wyman Menzer's good company. Man, I tell you what, Wyman, you know, after I found you know, when you talked to me about doing this show, and I saw Wyman, I'm like, oh hell, <laughs> <laughs> nothing, nothing like going, nothing like going to play a little rock and roll after ACDC yeah. just got done warming up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and that's it, it, it. Wyman, if it wasn't for Wyman, I wouldn't be here. I mean, that's a fact. I lived in Benjamin, in Buddy and Janice's house. And uh, Wyman across the street living in the jail. And, you know, Wyman is, he's just a, for those of y'all who didn't listen to the podcast with Wyman, do yourself a favor, do your kids a favor, listen, listen to a living legend. I'm not kidding. It's not because he's a good photographer. He's an actual legend. And, uh, you know, photography in, in is, is, that guy, he's, I mean, just being around him, he's like being around like, like the Dalai Lama of he is. boots. Like yeah. just being with him, he's like, dude, yeah. you're, you're he's cool a cool as dude. Hell, yeah. And there's no bullshit with that guy. No, he's no. a he's a neat guy, and he's been that way from I've known him for 25 yeah. years since I've been in Knox County. Yeah, absolutely. And he's the same person I met 25 years ago. He just he he beats to a different drum. He does things his way. That's he's right. a perfectionist about it, but he's very very good, and he's yes. in tune with the with the universe that a lot of people aren't. No, you're right. And, that, and when I first met Wyman 20 something years ago, again I was living in Benjamin. For those of y'all who don't know Benjamin. There's not a stoplight. There's a square, which is two, four lots and, and, and two stop signs. But Wyman lived on the left, we lived on the right, and you can't help to run into each other. And no. <laughs> I wasn't a photographer or anything, but uh, I was a videographer. But just talking to the guy and seeing his work, you're just like, you are seeing, you're seeing yeah. animals. And, and that's how I got into photography. Wyman talking about animals. Not taking, we didn't talk about pictures. We talked about what these animals do. Right. And, and, and that's... You know, a lot of people ask me, how'd you get started? I got started because I wanted to tell a story. And, I mean, God, I wish, I mean, Andy, Jeff, you've been there. I wish I could tell the stories of what it looked like when they waffle. Mm-hmm. I wish I could tell you the yeah. stories. Of, I mean, you can't tell the stories. But when they do it, it is, it, I mean, watching specks spick upside down with their necks broken or <laughs> watching birds, the only way I could figure out how to do it was a camera. And Wyman right. was like, you know, you're, you're, you're understanding and those guys and gals out there who want to be photographers if you want to do it i don't have any proper training whatsoever uh everything i learned we didn't have the inter, the interwebs uh on photography when i started uh go find a subject matter and get really really in tune with it i mean when it comes to coyotes and roadrunners a fucking roadrunner that's story? your guy yeah. that's your guy but you know i'm surprised he can't tell you like you know roadrunner scat tastes like chicken <laughs> yeah <laughs> But yeah, I mean, that, he was that deep, in, that the, deep. in the road runners. You know, one, of the, one of the greatest compliments in my life, uh, you know, when people say, you know, how do you know when you made it? You know, it's not about money because that's about having people buy your photography or whatever. But Lee chose, you know, my, my three guys who, who, who you know, caught, put, put fertilizer on, on, on my crop on photography was, was Wyman Menzer by far and then uh, – Lee chose a, a big part uh, of that deal. And then Russell, Russell Graves. And Russell probably more than anybody as far as actually learning how to do it. But uh, a couple of years ago, Lee chose, uh, last summer, we were working on some stuff. And, you know, Lee chose, if you don't know, he's probably the greatest waterfowler of all time. Spinelli, you, mm. you name it, Lee chose is it. And Lee's like, man, he's like, you probably are the best Canada goose photographer in the United States. 
And I said, Lee, all I'm doing, I'm, I'm not. I mean, I'm just, you know, that's, I appreciate the compliment, but and I'm a scrub. He's like, no, it's not that you're, there's, there's, there's guys out there way better than you in, in photography. He goes, but you catch, because he's a waterfowler, he's like, you catch them doing the stuff that the guys who are in the, in the parks don't catch. You catch them at angles that, 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 that like the picture I posted a couple of days ago, and I put a little question mark. Does anybody know why this is a weird picture? The one right above you? He's right. That was an awesome. Right feet. freaking. Though you knew exactly what it was. Yeah. The damn thing is right above my head, <laughs> yeah. feet down. That's not a looking on. That's like yeah. grab you from the sky and jerk your ass down. Right. And but you have to have been there. But you had to have been there to done it. Yep. And you know, when people at first the, the the photo got a handful of likes, but once we explained, this bird's landing on me, and and then also it's like, oh my, then also it's cool, and that's and and when Lee told me that, I think that makes the point. And Andy, you've seen it. You know. It, and there's a, you know, JD, JD bought a, John, for those of y'all don't know, John David Stanley bought a camera this year. And John David's ridiculously good for a guy who doesn't know jack crap about photography because he guides, he's done it so long. He knows when they're going to do it. Just like right. you, Andy, yeah. Andy, you've done it. You know, you know, when they're going to do it, yep. what is it? I can't describe it, but it's that moment when they backpedal, put that foot down. And you're mm-hmm. like, and for us in the guide world, when they do that, that's when we put our calls up, sit back, and start counting tip money. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and that's really what the, the photography world's about. It, and, and those who want to shoot photography, you don't, you don't need the $10,000 lenses and cameras and all that stuff. You've got to have that weirdness. And Wyman is it. He is yes. as weird as it gets. Wyman, I hope you're listening to this. Weird as it gets. <laughs> and I'll see you tomorrow. But he does. He got to that level. And he said, that, he said it in your podcast. He's like, what, what uh, National Geographic liked about his stuff was not his composition. It was his angle. Mm-hmm. And, right. and that's right. right. You know, a lot of my photography, you look at a lot of my goose photos, they're face on. Mm-hmm. They're not looking up. They're right. looking at them in the eyeballs. Why? Yeah. Because they're in my, my wheelhouse. <laughs> they're in the grill. And that's really, what, whether it's turkeys or stuff, and to, and to me, that's where RNTV, what, what made Sean different than everybody else is Sean and I wanted to get in, in in, we wanted to get in their face. We wanted to, we, we, we I, th- we're, I'm, I don't know this for a fact, but we're probably the first guy to bring a track camera in, into the waterfall world. And everybody thought we were stupid. We brought a track camera in and all it does, is it goes back and forth. And we built this thing about 15 feet long where it goes back and forth all, you know, straight across. Well, <coughs> if you watch RNTV from three years ago was the first time we used it. And, Birds are coming in, and this camera's going right to left, right to left. But we have a goose decoy over it, so they don't, they don't know the difference. But it gave you, but those birds were just looking at this thing, and they came in right on this decoy, and it gave us a, a whole nother level of we need to film that way. Right. <coughs> Excuse me. I was talking to Blake Fisher today, who's the camera guy for RNTV as well. I said, you know, I'm waiting for somebody to fly a drone behind a group of birds and land them and shoot them. You can't do that. I understand that. But I've thought about that also, too. <laughs> well, that would make good, I agree. good photography. But that would somebody's yes. going to do it. And, what, and the way you do it legally, uh, Ryan Peacock or uh, all the other <laughs> guy, uh, game wardens out there. They're listening is, to Catch Our Secrets. They're listening to Catch Our Secrets. You've got to land the birds because we've actually talked about how do you do it. <coughs> you've got to fly the drone in with the birds. Don't shoot them. Yes. Let them get out. Shoot the next one. The good thing about our world, the geese, they're going to come in on the same stick every time. Right, right. So you fly that first group in, but nobody's done it yet. It will happen. That would be that would be an awesome. God, time. that would wouldn't that be wicked to see? Especially if you flow the drone around ahead of time, do some circles. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. And then all of a sudden, drop in, and the yep. guns come up. 
Okay, now we're gonna have to. We've got to cut this off. We're at two and a half hours. <laughs> we'll do another we're, one. It's we been will. raining the whole time. Yes, we got, we've <laughs> got to. We, do we it brought again. this in, Eric. Where can people if find you? Uh, they can find. That's a good question. No, uh, you know, on Instagram, you can go to my Instagram page, Eric Guggen. How much is at e googie, e g u g g i e. Uh, Facebook anywhere. Eric Guggenheim is pretty easy to find it's with a K uh, because my, my grandparents spelled it right. <laughs> but, uh, you know, you can find me on my website. But Instagram uh, and Facebook is where I do most of my stuff because, you know, the thing that I, my whole goal with, with social media is just to show people what can be done with a camera right. and what can be done guiding. You're never going to see a dead uh, a picture of a bunch of dead geese because I can care less about that. I want to I catch them while they're doing it. And uh, you can take that however you want that. But... Uh, <laughs> People can find me at uh, Instagram. It's probably the best place. You know, for me, I like Instagram probably more than Facebook. Now it's like a millennial or some shit like that. But uh, because I don't, I don't really, I don't understand Facebook. Honest to God, I really don't get it now. It's changed. When you, you know, used to when you and I were on Facebook, Jeff, you, people interacted. Yeah, I don't understand it. What's happening? It's changed. I think. I know. I mean, I get on Facebook. Still. I like I like Instagram a lot, <laughs> but better. you don't have people. You don't. I used to put something out there just to stir the shit up, especially oh, yeah. political. Political, and yeah. man, I'd get two hundred responses, yes. and three hundred likes on it. Real yeah, quick. and now it's you get fifteen of the same people. Yeah, I don't understand. I don't get that either. I don't know what happened because on Instagram I get a couple. You know, I got in trouble for stealing one of your pics on Instagram. I told you yes. I took your pic a couple of years ago. Yes, and I downloaded it. Well, I used it, and Andy right. got on to me one day. He said, "You stole Eric's picture." I don't you, care you about and, that. And I did not. Know. I did not I understand. Had the workings of Instagram. He doesn't understand the rules. I like, didn't understand the rules that Andy goes. Well, you're supposed to tag him. I was oh yeah, I didn't know that. Shit. Yes. Yeah. Now, I found that out. That's like Forrest a, called me out. I think. Did he? Forrest or somebody did. Well, that <laughs> oh, looks like a Guggenheim. Forrest is a punk, by I the way. Like, oh, he's like, a punk. I think it was Forrest. It, yeah. No, that, it, it was Forrest. I'm pretty sure. And he called me out. I was yeah. like, okay, Eric. But shit, I didn't know. I thought, hell, I've had that. That had that picture. You had that picture for on my phone for two years. They, and I asked you about using it. I was going to use it on care. a brochure or something. You said, yeah, knock care. yourself out. I, yeah, and then I, Andy, Andy tries to. Yeah, and it does the same thing to me. There also. is, there is, I guess, being politically correct on that deal on, on Instagram, Insta Snatch, or whatever it's called. Code of ethics, and I did, yeah. I broke the code of ethics. Yeah, exactly. Like, 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 well, okay, Andy, we got, we got to end this. We got, we got to. We'll thank, do it again. We'll do yes, this again. We'll, we we'll do this again. again. I'd like to thank our sponsor, William and Chris Vineyards and Sway Rose. Sway is available at Bucky's, H E B, Central Market, and Whole Foods. That's William and Chris Vineyards, and you can find them at WilliamandChrisVineyards.com, and they're in High Texas. Folks, Texas wine has taken over, and they are the premium Texas wine. And that's William and Chris Vineyards in High Texas. Look them up. They're on Instagram, they're on Facebook. We out. We out. Have a good week, people. <laughs>